Blog Talk Radio. Round one. Fight, 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 fight. Minions, welcome. You have stumbled across the number one internet sports talk show in the world. My name is Tom Marquisell, Presidente, and you will pay homage to me for the next two hours because I am on loan from God to bring you the best knowledge in sports there is. 917-889-8516 is our digits. Our, our executive producer, Rick Riggin, is standing by in the Balance War Room. Today's special, 30, the field of 33. I tell you what, it's been exciting. We teamed up with Speedway Digest out at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and we have been out there all month long. And it has been exciting. Now, also, Matthew Embry hung out with me on bump day out at the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And uh, so we saw a lot of things, a lot of drama going on today. Myself, our official IndyCar contributor, Matthew Embry from Popular Open Wheel Now, uh, will join us as well as Tyson Lautenschlager, our favorite Canadian from OnPitRoad.com. We're going to break down all 33 cars. Got a lot of special stuff on 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 tap for you uh we do this every year on the day before the 500 uh 33 cars that's our special today my name is Saul mark with presidente stick around it's about to get good right here on the balance radio network told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim. Here. Introducing the new Beat Up Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive-through safari. Feed the animals. 
see live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. Thankfully for Danica fans, her team would get that GoDaddy Chevrolet back on track and she'd end the session eighth fastest. Indy 500 veterans dominated the speed charts in the final practice as Tony Kanaan, Scott Dixon, and Marco Andretti ended the day as the three fastest on track. The future stars of the Verizon IndyCar Series got to showcase their talents on car day with the annual Freedom 100 for the Indy Light Series presented by Cooper Tires. In one of the most competitive races in Light's history, the record for lead changes was shattered as drivers like Dalton Kellett, Pato Award, Santi Arutia, and Colton Herta set the new mark at 20 lead changes in the 40-lap race. In the end, second-generation driver Colton Herta was able to fend off a great challenge by teammate Pato Award, scoring the victory by half a car to pick up the win in the Freedom 100 and take over the points lead in Indy Lights. And before race fans could rock out with Train and Blues Traveler, the unsung heroes on the IndyCar pit crews got a chance to shine in the annual Indy 500 Pit Stop Challenge. Despite not qualifying for the race, James Hinchcliffe's Aero Electronics team were fast, knocking out Will Power's Verizon Team Penske crew in the first semifinal. The Schmidt-Peterson crew would get to square off in the finals with the Ganassi PNC Bank crew for Scott Dixon, who knocked off the Napa crew of Alexander Rossi for Andretti Autosport. In the finals, Ganassi's Wolfpack would not be denied winning the best of three round over the Schmidt crew to claim the title. 
Watch the 102nd running of the Indianapolis 500, Sunday, May 27th at 11 a.m. on ABC. Give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. And welcome back, my minions. My name is Tom Mark Vassell, President A. 917-889-8516 is my digits. It is the field of 33. Joining us now is Matthew Embry of Popular Open Wheel Now and Tyson Lotzeiger of OnPitRoad.com. How you doing, Matthew? Good stuff. We should mention, in addition to all the stuff on television, uh, the local affiliate 1070 of the fan today will have a marathon of Indy 560. They'll have re- highlights of several prominent Indy 500s over an hour, plus uh, commentary from uh, Donald Davidson. And then, of course, their coverage gets underway at 5 a.m. and will run all the way through the end of the race, plus a two-hour post-race show. So a lot of stuff going on, not just on the uh, old tube, but on the radio as well. And uh, what an interesting race and a lot to look forward to. And uh, like I said, uh, first of all, i got to say, you know, I feel bad for Ty. I mean, his buddy uh, Hinch is going to be in the show this year. But uh, I tell you what, it's been a very weird month and uh, very interesting scenarios uh, playing into this race. Uh, the way it's going, Tom, the way this month is, I spell an upset. Well, absolutely. It's going to be very exciting. Joining us also is Tyson Lautenschlager of uh, OnPitRoad.com, uh, uh, giving us a call today and helping us break down the field of 33. Uh, uh, Tyson, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Uh, you know, as Matt said, you know, we are missing one Canadian in the Indy 500 field this year, but it's race weekend, so it's always a good weekend. You know, we're, we're going to get into that here in just a moment, but I, I wanted to make sure that I, I, I'm always been a fan of James Hinchcliffe, and, and he's always hailed himself with great class, uh, certainly as all Canadians do. Uh, but the, the fact is, he's one of the fan favorites, and honestly, on t- we, we got the, the tale of two cities here. One, one part of us, we always love a, a good uh, bump day. I mean, we haven't had one in years. And I don't know that anybody, and I don't mean this bad against Pippa Man, but I don't think anybody really expected Pippa Man to get into it. So it wasn't really a big shocker. The shocker came when James Hinchcliffe, mechanical problems, things happen. That's Indy. Uh, Indy shows uh, favorites to no one. Uh, just was not able to get into the race. Now, they could have moved him into the other car of, of Schmidt Motorsports. They could have done that. They could have made the business decision to do that. Sponsors uh, trump all. But, you know, at the end of the day, they didn't do that. And, and James Hinchcliffe, uh, you may have seen his tweet and his Instagram uh, and his post saying, you know, hey, it just wasn't our day. We didn't get the job done, and I'm going to support my team. So hats off to James Hinchcliffe. Uh, did it in a, in a great, great way. Uh, real quickly, guys, as you know, the Indianapolis 500 is a tradition. It is something that is that if, if, you're, if you're not a race fan, you can still enjoy the Indianapolis 500. I was out at Carb Day yesterday. A big party scene, everybody. I can't tell you how many times people said, well, I'm just here for the party. You know, a quarter of the day was beer and titties. So, (laughs) you know, so the party scene is there. But then you've got the on-track action, the pit stop action. And speaking of James Hinchcliffe, did a great job coming right up to the end uh, with uh, – Scott Dixon, who Scott Dixon has a knack of winning the, the pit, cha- uh, pit stop challenge uh, with his uh, Chip Canassi racing uh, team out there. So a lot, of, a lot of traditions. Carb Day is one of those traditions. Um, 
let me ask you this. We'll go around the horn here real quickly. Uh, Matthew, what, what, what is it about the Indianapolis 500 that makes it special to you personally as a race fan? Well, it's the history and the chance to really make, win one of the toughest and most challenging races in the world. I mean, a lot of people have given this race flack since the split uh, back in 96, but it takes a lot of guts, it takes a lot of bravery, a lot of courage, and a lot of things to have to go your way in order to win this race. We have seen many times, we've seen Michael Andretti dominate this race. He didn't win. We saw Lloyd Ruby dominate this race. He never won. There are many big names. Even Tony Stewart tried to win this race, never won. So, I mean, there's a lot of big names here, but things have got to go your way in order to get all the way there. I mean, look at last year. Takuba Sato had a good start of the race, had a lull period, fell back after stalling the car at a pit stop, came all the way back and what? Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how things play out this time around. But like I said, Lady Luck plays a big deal, and if you don't have the luck and the brakes fall your way tomorrow, you're going to have a very tough time. Because remember, this car, even though people say that things haven't changed, it could be a lot tougher to gain positions and for guys like Alexander Rossi and Graham Rahal, who are starting 32nd and 30th, respectively, they have a mountain to climb, and they could have to take some very interesting off-secret strategies to get themselves into the picture because they can't just rely on other people's mistakes to get there. Sure, we had a lot of attrition last year, but with this brand-new car the way it's been, attrition has not been a factor as it has been you know, in the 80s and 90s. You've got to make it on your own, and I think ultimately – uh, for those guys, they're going to have to do some interesting strategies to get themselves into the picture for what's been uh, surprising positions, especially for Rossi, uh, the guy that just two years ago won this race. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to get into all of the cars here in just a moment. Uh, Tyson, real quickly, what is it about the Indianapolis 500 that makes it special to you personally as a fan? Well, I think, um, kind of like Matt said, it, it is the history. This is the biggest race of the year, you know, across all motorsports, in my opinion. And uh, kind of to echo that, I saw a tweet this morning from Jim Noble, one of the, the NASCAR media people, and he uh, he tweeted, you know, all of these NASCAR, big NASCAR media people, Bob Pockers, Jeff Gluck, uh, Nate Ryan, Jenna Fryer, they're all at Indy this week. We also have the Coca-Cola 600 tomorrow, which is, is the same day, of course, as the Monaco GP and the Indy 500. But the fact is, all three of these races are big, but the Indy 500 is just bigger than everything, and it really is the one that, that everybody wants to be at. The Coke 600 is kind of just another race to a lot of people, especially when you do compare it with Indy. So I think that's why, to me, that's one of the biggest races, that probably the biggest race that any series runs uh, throughout the year. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, me personally, you know, I, I grew up in southern Indiana, a large family, so we didn't have the, the where and means to come to the race every single year. But uh, my grandparents uh, lived on the west side of Indianapolis, actually not far from where we're located at today, just down the road, actually. Uh, and my grandparents have passed away, but I remember coming up here in the summertime, and uh, we used to go to what was then called the time trials and stuff. But a lot of times we were up here, we just weren't able to go to the race. And one of the things that we 
I think here in Indianapolis, and it's kind of odd to think about on a national, on a global stage, because you could just watch it on television. Here in Indianapolis, it's blocked out and blacked out. And, and that's been a, a point of controversy, and that's probably going to change here soon. But there's something special about that that makes the tradition very, very different here in Indianapolis. And a lot of us fans like myself, I remember being at my grandparents' house or even at my own house, showing my age here. I'm going to use a word here that a lot of people don't know what is. But I used to have a transistor radio. It was a radio that you could pull up the antenna, had batteries in it. And we used to listen to the Indianapolis 500 on the radio every single year. And, you know, there was a certain voice that associated that, and it just kind of made it special. And that was Sid Collins. And Sid Collins has now passed away. But one of the things that I like to do every year is pay tribute. You know, and, and really, believe it or not, just the, the maybe it's the radio in me. Maybe it's the, the just the love of being in Indianapolis. But there's just something special about Sid Collins. So every year I like to play this. We've played it on the show before. But every year I like to play this little segment, this little tribute to Sid Collins. So it's about eight minutes, guys, so stand by. But when you hear this, you'll understand why the Indianapolis 500 is so special. From Indianapolis, Indiana, scene of the world's greatest race cars, this is Sid Collins saying welcome to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. This racetrack has been the scene of some of the most spectacular, most thrilling, some of the saddest, and some of the most glorious moments in the entire world of sports. For A.J. Foyt, winner of the Golden Anniversary 500-mile race, one of the most thrilling, surprising, exciting finishes ever. Set to go once again with our coast-to-coast -coast radio coverage of the world-famous 500-mile race. This is the true endurance test of man and machine. He was a perfectionist himself. Uh, he was a class act. He, he dressed the part, he acted the part. He was a real professional. And I think he'll always be remembered as the voice of the 500. The 500, the greatest race in the world. By 1954, listening to the 500 was a tradition worldwide. Radios from Tokyo to Tinseltown heard Sid Collins deliver all the race day excitement. He painted such an image for me. I mean, it was powerful. The golden pace car will make an abrupt cut into the pits at a 45-degree angle at 90 miles an hour. Here they come down the main straightaway for the world's fastest flying start. There's the green flag and the 500-mile race is on. Sid was the first voice of the 500 network. His poetic style and smooth voice informed fans for over 25 years. He was the architect of today's 500 broadcast. And Sid had a particular flair. He, was, he, uh, he could turn a phrase, as they say, unlike uh, most anybody else. He was always extremely well prepared. Sid was never at a loss for word. Well, race fever has reached the boiling point now, fans. The cars will pass us like a jet rocket, and here they come. There's the green flag, and the race is on. He was almost the star. You knew Sid and his voice and uh, so forth. Maybe better than a lot of the drivers. I think that Sid and his crew created a magic on that one day of the year that drew the entire country. Victory Lane. Two words with no parallel to men who devote their lives to speed and competition and raw courage. Sid was a very unique individual, always immaculately dressed, um, always uh, aware of his presence, and very much into the race. 
This was not just a job for Sid. This was indeed a lifetime achievement event for him. Sid was a master at making four and a half, five and a half hours seem intriguing. The engine's now gathering strength and volume, settling to a pulsating roar as they go into the back stretch. The waiting is over. The magical moment of the start of the race rapidly approaching. Each man is alone now, all reduced to the singular conflict. 32 others are pitting their resources against his. I enjoyed listening to Sid because he made the exciting moments exciting. Over here's a skid right in front of us, number 83, spinning around three times, four times, right on the main stretch. What? Don yeah. Davis, watch it out there. Well, right around the outside of Davis with the Cooper Climax by inches, and Don Davis is situated right now in his car, getting up and out right in the middle of the main stretch, getting up dejectedly, walking away, and there are two cars going around, and number 73 again. Well, right in front of the main stretch, two cars flip, get the glasses on them, and see who they are. A third car bumps, and the entire main stretch oh. is upside down. Sid delivered the race in a style all his own, but it was in 1955 that he would coin a phrase that put him and the Speedway on the map forever. In radio, you needed, in those days, to tell the local station it's now time for you to roll your commercials. Now all that's done electronically. Didn't, didn't have that then. So they needed a phrase, and they needed a catchphrase. Now stay tuned for the greatest spectacle in racing. It would give me goosebumps. Whenever I hear that, then I, uh, you know, that's, that's Sid Collins. The day that he took over the 500 and coined the phrase, the greatest spectacle in racing, it changed his life. Uh, to, to, to the day that he passed away. 1955 also presented Sid with his first crisis situation, a true test for any broadcaster. The caution light is out indicating trouble. Let's go to the back stretch and Jack Shapiro. Bill Vukovic evidently going to the outside to miss the trouble, went over the wall, and that car is still burning over there. Why don't you drop the mic for a second, go check, and come call us back when you see those numbers. We won't call you until you get back, I'll check the okay? car that is burning. I certainly uh, will, Sid. In the midst of all the chaos, Sid took control of the situation live and unscripted. Sid stayed calm and kept listeners informed, even when the worst news of all filtered to the booth. Here we have never had to make such an announcement, and we're most regretful. Bill Vukovic, three-time winner of the 500-mile race, almost, trying for his third consecutive today, trapped in his car in the backstretch, was injured fatally. When the network entered its second decade, over 700 stations broadcast the 500. Sid and his staff wanted the race to reach every corner of the globe, and they were getting close. Sid was so proud of the network, and he often used to boast, this is the largest radio network in the world, larger than NBC, ABC, Mutual, any of the old networks. Just about everywhere where English was spoken, you could, uh, you could get it. At any Sid and his crew developed the race broadcast to include more than just the leader and the lap count. There would be great periods of time when it was just nothing much going on, you know. So what he did was uh, he had all kinds of ideas for um, uh, guests, uh, dignitaries that he thought would make the show more interesting to the to the. Uh, to the average listener, so he, he'd get the Hollywood types on there. And now Indy was more than a sporting event. It was a social event. Songs truth with Dinah Shore. Are you getting uh, ready for your trip to Victory Lane in a couple of hours, Dinah? Oh, I tell you, the moment when I get to present that Guana trophy is going to be the thrill of my life. Unbelievably uh, exhilarating, 
occasion when that pacing car came down the stretch. I like that. Yeah, I thought that was colorful. That added something to it. An dimension to the broadcast that you know, I didn't know the broadcast had at the time. I mean, it, big name people do come here for this race. He was also able to keep you entertained in the laps when, if nothing was happening, it could get boring. Um, and it never did. Well, A.J. Foyt has a new car with an upright engine this year on the left, and uh, he, of course, is a rather quiet fellow. In fact, he's very, very uh, modest indeed, and it's hard to get him to say anything. Five laps to go, and Eddie Sachs, as they say in horse racing circles, at this moment, winning, going away. However, anything could happen. And now coming oh, in for a pit Sachs. stop is Eddie Sachs. A surprise, oh, a pit wait. stop for Eddie Sachs coming in. And they're still working and going by as A.J. Foyt takes the lead from Eddie Sachs to the south third with three laps to go. He was a history reporter. He wanted to correctly report history. He didn't want to give bad information. And the Golden Anniversary 500-mile race is on. The number one turn at Mike Ahern. And here they come to the number one turn, accelerating out of the back and taking the lead. Well, let's see the right. We have an accident on the main stretch, Mike. Hold it. We have a terrible accident on the main stretch. Our policy has always been... You call what you see, and you don't make any judgments about anyone's condition or anything. It was that kind of perfection and preparation that got Sid through the start of the 1964 race. There has been a spectacular crash, almost at the head of the main stretch. There's so much fire and so much smoke, it's un I am unable to see any car at all. A seven-car crash claimed the lives of drivers Eddie Sachs and Dave McDonald. We're all speeding toward death at the rate of 60 minutes every hour. The only difference is that we don't know uh, how to speed faster, and Eddie Sachs did. And so since death has a thousand or more doors, Eddie Sachs exits this earth in a race car. Knowing Eddie, I assume that's the way he would have wanted it. Sid's emotional eulogy is considered one of the most moving moments in 500 history. All right, and welcome back to The Balance. Wanted to do that. We do that every year. Play that bit because I think it really does paint the picture. And, Matthew, I know you're, you're very much into the IndyCar radio network. When you hear Sid Collins' voice, that is Indianapolis. I mean, that's the reason why I got into this profession. I mean, for instance, I mean – Seeing that and wanting to be a part of that and listening to it when I was after church uh, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a part of it. Now, granted, I haven't gotten there yet, but uh, I tell you what, it's a big deal and uh, obviously a big thing. Heck, my aunt and uncle listen to the race uh, every year annually as well. So a lot of good stuff with the radio broadcast, and uh, obviously we wish uh, Godspeed to Mark uh, Jaynes, the new voice of the 500, and his team as uh, they get to work uh, coming up at 11 a.m. Uh, tomorrow morning. Absolutely. Uh, Tyson Lautenslager on pitroad.com. Uh, when you hear Sid Collins' voice, now I know you're a little bit younger than me and Matt, uh, but uh, when you hear Sid Collins' voice, does that not just give you goosebumps? It really does. It, it kind of brings you back to those days where you have uh, a lot of people who are just very passionate about racing that just know what they're talking about and, and really can help other people understand. And I find it you know, very fascinating also coming from a um, – broadcasting background you know just hearing uh sig collins say at one point you know you you call what you know you don't assume things and sometimes you just you need to to let the situation play out 
and it seems like that's what he did. All right, guys, let's get into the field of 33. Uh, we're going to break down every row, every car, every driver for tomorrow's 100-second running of the Indianapolis 500. We'll start in row 11. Jack Harvey, we'll start with you, Tyson, then we'll go to you, Matt. Uh, row 11, Jack Harvey, Alexander Rossi, and Connor Daly. Connor Daly, actually, rumor had it that he had his seat up for sale for James Hinchcliffe. Uh, which I get it. You know, maybe there was uh, some financial gain there. I don't know that we can expect a lot from row 11, but you never know because we do have a former former winner of the Indianapolis 500 who won as a rookie, uh, with, and that's Alexander Rossi. Uh, go ahead, Tyson. Uh, row 11. Yeah, this is kind of a, a very strange row because we do see Connor Daly in here who has not had a lot of speed, and as you mentioned, he uh, was one of the, um, it seemed like, three drivers that could have had their seats sold to James Hinchcliffe. The interesting thing with this year's Indy 500, though, um, compared to years past, like 2011, when we saw Ryan Hunter Ray buy a Bruno Zincura, it seems that there's uh, we have basically a full field of sponsors as well as uh, drivers and teams, so it would have made it really, really difficult for Schmidt-Peterson to buy a seat uh, for, for James Hinchcliffe. But you look at Connor Daly, they haven't had a lot of speed this, uh, uh, this month. However, Connor actually does have quite a bit of experience here at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, even though you don't really consider Connor Daly an oval track driver. Uh, he can maybe make his way through the field a little bit. I don't see this team uh, performing all that well. Um, the, the Dale Coyne, Tom Burns racing car, you know, it's, it's just, it hasn't had the speed. It hasn't been there. Uh, but if Connor can just have a, a smooth, consistent, clean race, depending on what happens in front of him, he could at least come away with a decent finish, and that's really what Connor Daly wants to do. He wants to get back to a full-time ride in the IndyCar Series. He's, he only has one other race planned for the year, as far as I know, and that's a NASCAR Xfinity race at, uh, I believe, Road America with uh, Roche Fenway Racing. So Daly really needs to have a strong showing. And then you have, in the middle of row 11, Alexander Rossi, which is so strange to see him so far back here. And actually, if you look at the Las Vegas uh, odds, He's the favorite to win the Indy 500, and he's starting in the 32nd position for this race. He even, uh, in Carb Day practice yesterday, he was 32nd. Um, so the Indy 500 favorite, the 2016 winner, starting 32nd. I know they had some issues uh, on qualifying day last week. Um, but we should, I, I would think Rossi should make his way up through the field. Those Andretti Autosport cars are always so strong here. Uh, Rossi should be able to, to make his way up. Uh, just very strange to see him that far back. And Jack Harvey uh, in the Meyer Shank racing car, um, along with an SPM uh, alliance there. Harvey, to me, is just not very good at this racetrack. I think he's really struggled here. Uh, he struggled last year really uh, quite a bit. Uh, it seemed like he could never really get the car under him and uh, struggled to it wasn't really a speed thing. It was a balance. Uh, he just could not get the handling of that car. And I, I think we'll see the same issues uh, on Sunday. He does have a little bit more experience now, but uh, I wouldn't expect too much out of Jack Harvey this weekend. Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor. Matthew, I, I don't think that there's any surprises in row 11, except for Alexander Rossi being that far back. Uh, Matthew, what are your thoughts? Row 11. Well, Rossi is the guy to watch. I'd be very curious to see if they get an early yellow, if he stays out, tries to advance his position, et cetera, to try to get himself back into play. 
And it's interesting that the two amazing race participants are back there. Uh, it's been a five-alarm fire pretty much all month for Connor Daly. I think there's been a disagreement in seeing eye-to-eye things. Uh, Connor's wanted to do things one way. Uh, Tom Burns and Dale Quinn have wanted to do it another way. And I think it's really a lot of animosities built from them throughout the month. And uh, eerie factor uh, with Jack Harvey, I think the pickup that he had in qualifying to make the show uh, just shows what would have happened if uh, not for that tire vibration. I think James Hitchcliffe would have followed him into the show as well. And, uh, yeah, tough break, obviously, for Hinch. And uh, for Harvey, I think the big thing is he's hoping to just get to the finish at this point. Uh, He had an early exit. He was involved in the daily crash last year. So uh, if Harvey can get to the finish, I think that would be a win for them, considering uh, a team that's only running six races on the schedule this year. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I tell you, we'll see what happens. I, 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 as Tyson says, you can never outrule the uh, Andretti. We, we move to row number 10. Uh, Jay Howard, Ed Jones, and Graham Rahal. I want to take a moment here uh, just to uh, applaud Graham Rahal and, and uh, Rahal Letterman, uh, Legman Racing and what they're doing with United Rentals and the troops coming up on Memorial Day on Monday. Uh, certainly they support the troops very, very much. Uh, they do a thing uh, with United Rentals. I think it's 30 but I could be wrong. For every lap completed by any RLL driver, uh, they donate thirty dollars uh, for to turns for troops, uh, which is an organization. And they're very, very uh, dedicated to supporting the troops. So hats off to Graham Rahal. Speaking of Graham Rahal, we'll start with you, Matt, in row 10. Speaking of, of Graham Rahal, kind of a surprise. I thought, he, I thought he might be in the middle of a pack somewhere, but really didn't think he'd be that far back. Uh, Matthew, J. Howard, Ed Jones, and Gray Graham Rahal, sorry. Uh, you look at Rahal, and you wonder if Rahal Letterman Lanigan's overextending themselves, because the last time they ran three cars was 2013, the same year they failed to get Michelle Jordan Jr. into the field. So I wonder if three's too many for this organization. I mean, Rahal's starting well back. Servia's starting well back. Sato's in a decent starting position, but I still don't think he's going to be a threat. Uh, Jay Howard, uh, another guy with the Spit-Peterson team, they took two, a very conservative tack with him yesterday, or last Sunday in qualifying. That's why he's this far back. And then you look also with some of the other contenders back there, Ed Jones. Huge surprise that he was way off the pace for Ganassi. Uh, keep in mind, he qualified 11th with Dale Coyne last year and ran third. So uh, I tell you, a big disappointment for Jones to be this far back in the grid. But again, uh Graham Rahal did come in 2011 from the back of the pack to a contender late, so he can get up there, but unfortunately, of course, that was with Ganassi, so maybe that's a better omen for Jones as opposed to Rahal, but I think it's just a case right now where Rahal Letterman Lanigan has overextended themselves trying to run three cars, and maybe they don't have the stuff to be able to do it successfully. Tyson, row number 10, Jay Howard, Ed Jones, Graham Rahal. I think just kind of as Matt said, the resources may be getting stretched a little too thin for uh, for RLL Racing. Um, Ray Hall, uh, we thought he would have more speed this month, and he really hasn't. He's kind of been back here a lot, even on uh, uh, in practice sessions before qualifying and on bump day. He seemed to be in a, a really kind of precarious position, and he was able to make his way up and, and get in the field. But even on Sunday, it just wasn't a strong qualifying showing. He qualified 30th, and that's really not what you want in the the Indy 500 as one of the quote-unquote big teams. But of these big teams, this is the small team, and and they have stretched their resources really thin. They've got three cars with Serbia and his uh, relationship with Scuderia Corsa and then Takuma Sato. Um, 
So they've, they've got some ground to make up in the race, but I think they can do it. Uh, the advantage of starting back here is that you can rely on strategy to move to the front, kind of as Matt pointed out with, uh, with Rossi. You know, if you get an early yellow, maybe you do something that the other leaders aren't. Uh, Ed Jones can fall into that category as well because it, it is a surprise to see him this far back as well. He's driving for Chip Ganassi Racing, which is probably, you know, if not the best team, maybe the second best team in the series. And he finished third in this race last year as a rookie, so you'd think he'd be a little bit more competitive, but it's just not there right now. Uh, Jay Howard, I think uh, Scott Dixon probably wants him to stay away from him after last year, but uh, he always runs well in his one-off events uh, as long as he can you know, keep all four wheels on the ground and, uh, and not get into an accident. I think he can run well uh, because I think this team, despite the issues that they had uh, on bump day and, and in qualifying in general, this is a team that is good enough to run well. So uh, joining us also, just wanted to say hi to him and give him a big congratulations, our executive producer, Rick Riggett. Uh Rick, I know you've had some uh, connection issues. That's okay. No big deal. We love you. Congratulations on having a daughter graduate high school. Man, doesn't that make you feel old? Uh, very, man. It's been crazy. <laughs> it's been a busy week and uh, got the big graduation party uh, today. So uh, looking forward to all that. And uh, sorry I'm late once again, you know, 12 minutes late last week. 37 minutes late this week, so my plan to phase myself out is almost complete. <laughs> well, we're, we're just going to publicly shame you. Shame, shame, shame. No, no, no big deal. We, uh, we appreciate nothing, Rick. Nothing that a, 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 a soft factory on the top can't fix, I guess. So big props that's to my, uh, my wife for uh, doing that for me. So I'm here. That's I'm right. <laughs> Uh, we're, we're, we're glad you finally got up out of bed. No, I'm just kidding. No, I know you've been very busy. It's been a very busy uh, week, very busy month for that matter. Uh, so uh, uh, Rick has been in the uh, war room on social media at T-Balance, and uh, 917-889-8516 is our digits. Real quickly, Rick, any thoughts on this year's Indianapolis 500? Uh, no, but just looking forward to uh, RLL, you know, the team, what they can do for turns for troops and what money that raises because uh, – you know, this weekend, Memorial Day weekend, uh, you know, we honor our, our fallen heroes that give us the, uh, you know, the, who gave everything, who gave all for our freedom and country and to allow us to have the Indy 500 and come on the show like The Balance to talk about the big race. So, uh, you know, and, you know, this honors our fallen heroes and uh, also big current service members and our, our veterans. Big thank you for everything you do to allow us uh, to be able to do what we do. So big thank you and honor our fallen heroes. Thank a veteran this weekend if you've seen one. And uh, you know, here's a balance to your uh, hashtag American AF. So uh, we veteran owned and operated <laughs> yeah, everything. So uh, big I'm thank you to our veterans. American. Honor our honor honor our, our fallen heroes. That's what uh, Memorial Day is all about. It's what this weekend is all about. Your cookouts and everything. Just just keep that in mind. Absolutely. Thank you, uh, Rick. And certainly uh, we do support the troops here, and, and we've kind of latched on to RLL Racing uh, because of what they're doing for the troops. Uh, so we've kind of uh, made that them our, our fan favorite. I wish we had uh, uh, figured out a way to get the balance on RLL car. No, I'm just kidding. Tyson, so uh, we go into row uh, number nine, I believe we're at. Zach Veach, Oreo Servio, talking about RLL. And J.R. Hillebrand. J.R. Hillebrand really has not shaken that ghost. And I know a lot of people think, 
it's something different. But he really just has not sh- shaken that ghost where he almost won it a few years back, really coming in for the checkered flag, hits the wall. I mean, that's Indy. Again, as I said earlier, Indy picks no favorites. But I think it was just that event and that exposure that J.R. Hillebrand had, I don't think he's been able to shake it here in Indianapolis. And and so certainly he, he's uh, with uh, Dreyer and Reinbold. Uh, but Zach Veach, again, Andretti uh, Autosports. But, uh, again, the two people that I see really being able to move up and do some damage in, in – what I mean by damage is just to, to uh, get some uh, – Positions is what I'm trying to get at at the Indianapolis 500 is Zach Veach and Oriel Servio. So we'll start with you, uh, Tyson, uh, row number nine. Yeah, it's funny that, uh, you know, how you talk about J.R. Hildebrand, and, and it's been seven years since that accident. That happened in 2011, but that was his first Indy 500. That was his first, you know, real exposure to Indianapolis in the Verizon IndyCar series. And, you know, he was coming off a of turn four, and it seemed like he was going to to win his first Indy 500 in his first attempt. And uh, it just, it all went away from him. And um, I, I think maybe you're right. It hasn't shaken off yet. And maybe it won't until he kind of gets to victory lane. Um, but I don't see that being this year. I think, you know, we talk about a, a team stretching their resources a little thin and, and Ray Hall Letterman, uh, Lanigan racing. And you could almost say the same about Dreyer and Reinbold of, Obviously, they used to run uh, full-time in the series. They've since uh, downsized and really only wa- uh, run the Indy 500 each year with Sage Karam, and now they're running it with two cars. They've got Karam and, uh, and J.R. Hildebrand, and they haven't shown as much speed as they often do. Uh, couple that with uh, Hildebrand having a practice crash uh, before qualifying last week. I think he was the first uh, driver to actually crash during the month of May. Uh, in uh, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, so that's not a good omen either. Uh, I think Hildebrand's really going to struggle um, this weekend. I just don't think they have it. Um, but moving on, you know, Oriel Serbia is, you know, despite being with a, a RLL and they've they've been struggling, he's probably one of the best drivers in the series to go out and just run one or two times a year and give it the best he's got. He had a great run going last year, if I remember correctly, and then got involved in, in one of those late crashes. Uh, if Serbia can, can be up there at the end of the day, I think, you know, we're not talking about a win for him, but I think we could see easily, you know, Oriel Serbia finish 7th, 8th, ninth, somewhere in that uh, general area because he's just a, a very talented driver and he knows what he can do with the equipment. He doesn't stretch it. And even you look back at Bump Day, it seemed like this team was doomed. You, there was no way that they were going to make it in. You know, an hour, an hour left in qualifying, and they were way behind the eight ball. And they still managed to get Serbia in the race. This is a team that can uh, can really compete, and they can fix their problems in a hurry. Uh, Zach, v- and I should put. No. Oh, Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just. Wondering- I apologize. I just realized I did not point. I said I said Servio's with RLL, but he's also uh, teamed up with Corsa Racing, and that's kind of a, a unique package that they put together. So I did not mean to exclude the owner owners of uh, Oreo Servia in Corsa Racing as well. Go ahead. Right, uh, Zach Beach. Uh, moving on to him. He's this is a driver who is very talented, and he's shown that in his Indy Lights, and it kind of took him a little bit longer than I think a lot of people thought it would for him to move into IndyCar, but he is here now and he's on a a full-time scale. And if you kind of look at him, 
I don't know if we're going to get a Carlos Munoz type um, run from him where we see Munoz every year for some reason really take to this track, but I think Zach Veach has the potential to run really well this year. It's going to be, uh, I believe, his second Indy 500 he ran with A.J. Foyt uh, last year, um, which wasn't as good of, a, of an organization as they are now. They've gotten, they've really improved quite a bit, A.J. Foyt has. But now you got a Veach with Andretti Autosport, which is one of the best teams at this racetrack. I think he has the potential to have a really strong weekend. Uh, I mean, with him, it's going to be letting the first maybe 100, 120 laps get through the race and just figure out your car, figure out what you need to do better. Uh, Veach is a young guy, a lot of inexperience, and, and sometimes young guys with a lot of inexperience, they make moves a little too quick. So if he can just, you know, let the race come to him, I think Zach Beach could have a really strong day. I don't think we're talking about a win there. But, uh, again, kind of with Serbia, maybe a top 10, top 15 performance. We're talking with Tyson Lautenslager of OnPitRoad.com. Matthew Embry, our uh, uh, official IndyCar contributor, our executive uh, producer, Rick Riggin, is in the war room. This is the field of 33. Matthew, we're in uh, row number nine. Zach Beach, Royal Servio, and J.R. Hillebrand, what say you? The thing that I think is key, though, is keep in mind, Dreyer and Reinbold really never has valued qualifying all that much. They just worry about getting in the field and doing their damage on race day. So I think Hildebrand's going to be a factor. I really question, though, whether or not Servio or Veach can get there. And I think the big issue for me right now is Honda somewhere over the last 12 months has lost the pace that they had. I don't know if they've gotten ultra-conservative after all the engine foes they had last year. But whatever the case is, Chevrolet, I think, has more grunt. And I think when it comes down to a straight fight late in the race, uh, if it's between a Chevrolet and a Honda driver, you have to give the Chevrolet driver a huge advantage over the Honda driver. And the last time this happened, 2015, uh, Chevrolet had an enormous advantage, and Honda just couldn't hold a candle to them. So I think right now uh, the ball is in Chevrolet's corner. And if you look at it from that standpoint, I think Hildebrand of those three is the one that could do the most damage because he does have the experience of being a contender, even though, yes, it was seven years ago. We're talking uh, the field of 33. Uh, Matthew, let's go into row number eight. We got Gabby Chavez uh, with Harding Racing, Stefan Wilson, and another Andretti entry, uh, Sage Karam, uh, who ironically is from the same town as the, as, um, the Andretti family at Bethlehem, uh, Pennsylvania. But he's also uh, with Dreyer and Reinbold Racing. Uh, we got two Chevys and a Honda in uh, row number eight. Now, Stefan Wilson, I like him. I have had a chance to kind of talk with him. You know, he reminds me a lot of his brother. He's tall. He's very approachable. The fans like him. And, you know, as, as, as we know, his brother uh, died uh, in a, a racing accident uh, in an IndyCar uh, race. And certainly uh, he's done a lot in the name of his brother, Justin Wilson. And I've really had the opportunity to get to know Justin on a personal level uh, over the many years here at Indianapolis of talking with him. And, and uh, he's actually been on the show before in the past. Uh, so, you know, Stephon Wilson, I, I'm kind of rooting for on a personal basis. But honestly, I was somewhat impressed of what he's been able to do at the track. So we'll start uh, with you, Matthew. Row number eight, Gabby Chavez, Stevon Wilson, and Sage Karam. 
Sage Karam needs to finish. I mean, he's crashed out of the last three Indy 500s right now. He really needs to get to the checkered flag if he wants to be in consideration again for a full-time ride. I think that's one thing that's really hurt his cause is being unable to get to the finish of this race. Stefan Wilson, the same deal with him. I think a finish would be a big thing for him. And Chavez, I thought he would be further up on the grid based on the practice times he had. I still think, though, that Chevrolet engine and, you know, with the team being run by Brian Barnhart and Larry Curry, they could still somehow get a result. Maybe not the top ten that they got last year, but I think uh, top half the field I think is a decent target for them to shoot for. Tyson, let's go to you. Row number eight, Gabby Chavez, Stefan Wilson, and Sage Karam. A lot of people think Stefan Wilson was just getting a make good because he had a ride last year. Uh, and then, as, as we know, Fernando Alonso uh, came in from Formula One. Obviously, he got bumped out of the car. They promised him a ride this year. So a lot of people thought this was just nothing more than a make good ride for him. But there again, going back to Stefan Wilson, he does have a shot just to finish the race. And I think, as Matt pointed out, if he does finish the race, that goes along way with him having a, a full-time ride yeah with Stefan Wilson like the big thing is they, they just kind of get to the finish and that'll be a successful day to be honest I didn't see them making this race and uh, the fact that they were able to qualify him in uh, to me was a, a big thing for him to make the race I really they didn't seem to be showing the speed in practice and even though it is an Andretti Autosport car this is a driver that doesn't get to race a whole lot so I didn't think they were even going to make the race and he was able to surprise me in doing that. Um, so that was, I think, a big thing for this team to begin with. So if he can have a good, solid run on Sunday, just get to the finish, log some laps, maybe get a come away at the top 20 finish, that's a really good day uh, for him. And, and, you know, maybe it can lobby him for some other rides in the future. I don't, I don't know if we'll ever see Stefan Wilson running full-time in IndyCar. Um, I just, based on, on the fact that he's been trying since about 2013 to get – to get rides in IndyCar, I just don't think it's going to happen, but a good day would just be running at the finish. Same can be said for Sage Karam, as Matt said. He's crashed out in, in the last three of his Indy 500 attempts, and the thing with Karam is he, he has a lot of speed here, but he's always super, super aggressive, and that gets him put in really bad situations where he ends up uh, causing a wreck where he just gets into a wreck, um, with with Karim, it's either feast or famine. You know, he came home uh, in his, I believe it was his first Indy 500. He was uh, sixth or ninth or something like that. But since then, it's really just been um, crashing and, and crashing out way too early. He needs to uh, put that aggression away and just finish the race because he's going to really have a hard time getting uh, getting into this series full-time again uh, if, he, if he can't. You know, he was with Chip Cassie racing for a while, and and that didn't work out, and I think a big part of that is because he couldn't finish the races. Uh, Gabby Chavez, that team, we saw this team for the first time last year in this race, and they really surprised everybody by uh, running as well as they did. They went on and, and did that again at Texas with a, a top-10 finish again, and now we see them full-time in the garage. So uh, Gabby Chavez, Harding Racing, with all the, the really – the big pieces behind the team, as, as Matt pointed out, Brian Barnhart's there. He's got Al Unser Jr. as a driving coach. You know, can't really have a better driving coach at Indy than uh, Little Al. So uh, this team, they could do big things this year, but they don't seem at the speed that they did last year. But uh, I think they can come away with a good finish. This is the Field of 33. It's our special 
day before the Indy 500 that we do every single year here on The Balance. Join us, our official IndyCar contributor, uh, Matthew Embry and Tyson Lautenschlager from OnPitRoad.com. Uh, Matthew from Popular Open Wheel uh, as well. Tyson, uh, we move on into uh, row number seven, and uh, we got an A.J. Floyd entry. Um, uh, uh, James Davison, Max Chilton, and Carlos Munez, uh, another Andretti uh, entry. We got, uh, uh, I'm sorry, we've got t- two Chevrolets and a Honda. Uh, certainly, and I point out that because we we've seen that battle between Chevrolet and Honda. What what uh, say you about Chevrolet and Honda, and then row number seven? Well, I think kind of as as Matt was pointing out, Chevrolet definitely does have the upper hand uh, over Honda this year. However. Um, with this row, I think you have two Chevy drivers and James Davison and Max Schulten, and then the Honda of Carlos Munoz, who, for whatever reason, this is an amazing track for Carlos. Ever since he uh, first stepped into an Indy car, you know, on a part-time scale, he was really strong here. And um, he doesn't come from an oval background, but somehow this place really just speaks to him. I think Munoz, despite, uh, you know, qualifying, really middle of the pack and he wasn't even all that great in practice yesterday he seemed to be really optimistic about his chances anyway he seems to think he's got a really good car and he wants to prove that he should be in the IndyCar paddock full-time which in my opinion he definitely should uh, I think this is the best of the uh, one-off drivers um, I think Munoz has the chance to run really well I don't know if he's going to get another podium finish or contend for the win but I think he, he should be there at the end of the day. And you look at Max Schulten, and he had such a, a crazy good performance at Indy last year. He led 50 laps in the race, finished fourth. And if you look at, uh, again, look at the, the Vegas odds-on favorites, he actually has the worst odds at, I, I believe it was 200 to 1. So if you want uh, to put some money on, on anyone for this race, Max Schulten might be a good one to maybe just put $5 on. Just just looking at the odds, Carlin Racing, it's a, a brand new team to IndyCar, uh, but Chilton has run well on the ovals despite coming from a, an F1 background. Uh, Indy, for some reason, last year was just really good to him, and uh, it seemed like he was going to have an opportunity to win. Uh, James Davison, uh, another kind of surprise, he just sneaked into the show on uh, on Saturday last week. He really barely beat out James Hinchcliffe for the, the final spot, and turned out there was a little bit of animosity between the two, uh, but Davison really improved his speed on, on qualifying day on Sunday last week. So uh, I don't know exactly what this team has behind them, but the other A.J. Floyd cars and, and Matthias Leist and, uh, and Tony Kanaan have been really quick. Kanaan, of course, leading carb day practice yesterday. So Davison might uh, also have that speed, too. I don't think he'll be up there with his teammates, though. Matthew Embry of uh, Popular Open Wheel Now, our official IndyCar contributor, joins us as well. Matthew, we look at uh, role number seven, James Davidson, Max Chilton, Carlos Munoz. What say you? The thing with Carlos Munoz, I wonder, and I'd love to have Ty's take on this as well. Did the one year he had with Foyt last year hurt him? Because it just seems like he's overdriving the car more than he ever has. I mean, yes, he's taken the aggressive line before, but he's trying to make the car do more of the work now from the times I've seen him the last two years than he needs to. And I think that really gets in your head. When you don't have the car, you overdrive it. And I think that's uh, Carlos's problem right now. I'd be very curious to see how he fares uh, tomorrow. Chilton is certainly a wild card. I mean, this Carlin team, as bad as they have looked on the road courses this year, they have overachieved this week. 
so far. And I think you could say the same. We'll talk about this on the next run we get to Uncos Racing. But I think Charlie Pimble and Max Children could be a surprise, considering they do have the Chevrolet engine. And, again, we can't overlook Davidson. Remember, he came from worst to first and was a definite contender for victory last year. So if you look at those three, again, the Chevrolet drivers look good. And I think uh, don't be surprised if either one or both of them is able to steal a top ten when we get to the checkered flag on Sunday. This is the field of 33. There is another race going on tomorrow. Tyson is in Charlotte. Uh, Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest is going to be joining us as well. So we're going to be bouncing between NASCAR and IndyCar because we know we have a lot of NASCAR fans here as well. And uh, they love their Charlotte on, on Memorial Day weekend as well. And, and as we have we've seen, uh, many drivers have attempted that, uh, that double. Uh, so we'll start with you, Matthew, here. We're going up to row number six. Uh, so just uh, keep in mind that we'll be bouncing and we'll see joins us we'll be bouncing between nascar and indycar and we got to try to get all of this wrapped up within the next 30 minutes so we're going to kind of zip through this but uh matthew uh, defending champion tomoko soto from last year's winner uh with uh ray Hart lutterman uh kyle kaiser uh, with juncos and robert wickens with schmidt peterson racing uh obviously that's uh, the the driver that we talked about that maybe could have got pushed out of the car uh so that Hitchcliff could could have a ride that did not happen great class there i i really in, in spite of business and in spite of sponsorships and money i get all of that but at the end of the day this is indianapolis and you know the car did not qualify i get that it was the car that didn't qualify not the driver but i i applaud uh schmidt motorsports for doing the right thing matthew go right ahead Wickens, I think, faces an uphill battle. He had the crash on Monday, so will be very curious to see uh, how uh, if he avoids being gun-shy. Kaiser's been surprised. I really thought Kyle Kaiser was not going to make this field, considering how badly Zunko's had it uh, with Kaiser and Bender, uh, Rene Bender, in the first uh, five rounds this year. But they really have turned uh, things around here. Maybe they've just put all their eggs in the basket and focused on Indy. If they have, they've done the right thing so far. Sato, great win last year, but like I said uh, with Ray Lerman Lanigan, I just don't think he's got the stuff to be able to uh, become the first repeat winner since L. Castroneves in 01 and 02. Uh, I think he can get a good result, but I just don't think he's going to be a contender for the victory today, coming up tomorrow. Tyson, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, kind of as uh, as Matt said, I thought Kyle Kaiser was going to miss this race too. I had him and, and Stefan Wilson as the two uh, pegs that I thought were going to miss the race. I thought even Pippa Mann was going to be able to qualify ahead of those two. Um, but, yeah, Kaiser and, and that Junkos racing team, they really uh, picked up the speed as the month went on because even as, uh, at the beginning of the month of May, they really had nothing. And then uh, qualifying uh, bump day came on Saturday, and they had a lot of speed, and, and they weren't in trouble at all, um, which to me was a bit of a surprise. So, Really good for Kyle Kaiser. He's a really talented driver. It's just this is a brand-new team to IndyCar for the most part. Uh, they ran the Indy 500 last year, but this is a fairly new team. This is their first year full-time, so it's good to see them uh, running well because uh, Kyle Kaiser, good driver. I'd like to see him uh, in the uh, IndyCar series more than he is right now. Uh, Robert Wickens, I think this is going to be the first, really kind of the first race that he's struggled at quite a bit. Uh, for some reason, they just don't really – have a habit this uh this week and you know they had that crash in practice yesterday which or uh, not yesterday the other day and uh they had suspension issues after that accident and uh, i don't know if they've really got all the gremlins out of it yet and kind of have to have them all out now um so wickens this could be the first um 
that's the first week where we really see them struggle a lot, uh, you know, based on issues that they've had. He's been so strong this year as a rookie, um, really surprised a lot of people. Um, but we'll see what happens come race day. And then Takuma Sato is just, you know, kind of as, as Matt said, and we've been talking about this the entire show, basically, that uh, Ray Hall, they really stretched their resources really thin, you know, with three cars uh, with the alliance with Oriel Serbia. Um, and this is their first year back to being a, a two-car full-time organization to begin with. So to have three cars is a lot to handle for the month of May. Uh, Takuma Sato, I, he's a really great oval racer. I just don't think he's going to go back-to-back, though. We go up to row number five. We're starting to get in the meat of it all. What I mean by that, when we start looking at rows uh, uh, five, four, five, and six, okay, historically that's where we've seen um, a lot of action, a lot of lead changes. Lead, uh, we'll see a lot of lead changes in Indianapolis that happens every single year. Uh, the thing about it is in this batch you have – uh, some drivers that have experience, some drivers that don't have experience. You have drivers that, that have experience that might try to, to plant a little trap or bait a driver to go one way to do another. There's a lot of strategy involved in, in, in this batch of drivers at 4, 5, and 6, in rows 4, 5, and 6. And a lot of work, a lot. You see a lot of action, so we're really starting to get into the meat of this, and we'll start uh, with you, uh, Tyson. Row number five, uh, Zachary Clayman DeMarco. I just screwed that up. I knew I would. Uh, DCR uh, Racing, uh, Ryan Hunter Ray, uh, obviously a former winner with Andretti, and Charlie Kimball. Uh, you know, I'm 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 on the fence with Charlie. Charlie seems to do well, but he's just not been lighting the world on fire, and uh, he's with Carlin in, in, in his Chevrolet as well. you got two Hondas and Chevrolet. We're at row number five. This is where things start to get good. Yeah, and Go I'd ahead, say Tyson. this has been, this has been uh, the, the most interesting row so far when you look at the the span of drivers and it. You look at Zachary claiming DeMello. A month ago, he wasn't really planning. He was not planning at all at being uh, at Indianapolis behind the wheel, and then Pietro Fittipaldi had his accident in Belgium, uh, qualifying for the six hours of Spa, and that kind of uh, put Clayman DeMello in the seat. And in order to get in the seat, he had to, to prove his way here. He had a great run at the NDGP, running at 12th, uh, running 11th, actually, I believe. And, and he was contending for a top 10 late. And it was just a really solid performance from the rookie driver from, uh, from Montreal, uh, to see Clayman DeMello run as well as he did was a, a big surprise, and, and he was able to prove to Dale Coyne that he deserved to have the seat for the Indy 500. Um, and I think a lot of people thought, you know, he was going to be in trouble qualifying as well. Um, but he, he has run well in the Freedom 100 and the Indy Lights in the past. Um, and when it came to qualifying, he didn't struggle at all. He had less practice time than a lot of these drivers did just because he had to go through uh, rookie orientation really late in the game, but claiming the mellow uh, qualified really solidly in the field will start 13th tomorrow. And uh, I think he's going to have a really strong showing if he can stay out of trouble. And you have Hunter Ray, who's a, a former Indy 500 winner. But then you also look, he's really kind of uh, struggled as of, uh, as of late throughout the month. Um, it seemed like he was going to be another guy that would have trouble qualifying in the field, which is so strange, even though he did, Missed the field in 2011 as well. Um, Hunter Ray, I mean, 
I don't really know what to expect from this team. They they seem to be a little off this uh, this weekend, but we'll see uh, what they can find on Sunday. And Charlie Kimball, another really hit or miss driver at the 500. We were talking about Hildebrand before and his accident in 2011. You can kind of argue Kimball may have caused that uh, by being, you know, in turn four on the last lap. He washed up the track in front of uh, Hildebrand as uh, as he was as Hildebrand was trying to lap him and that forced Hildebrand to go a little higher and then into the wall. So uh, Charlie Kimball has a, a bit of a strange experience with Indianapolis, but this Carlin racing team, they found speed uh, that I didn't think they would have for Indy. So um, Kimball, Chilton, they, they run okay at this, uh, at this racetrack and on the ovals. So we'll see what they have come Sunday. This is the uh, Field of 33, our special that we run every single year on the day before the 500. And I try to uh, pride myself in, in uh, uh, gathering the greatest minds in racing to help join us on a panel of the show. We've got Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor from Popular Open Wheel Now. We've got Tyson Lautenschlager of uh, OnPitRoad.com. And we've got our partner in crime at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, uh, Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief of uh, Speedway. Way Digest. Uh, Steve, I appreciate your help in helping us uh, help you. Uh, kind of a mutual benefit uh, being out there at the track uh, this uh, whole month. And uh, so, uh, you know, as, as you know, we've been doing a lot of posts on, on, on Speedway Digest. Uh, so I know you're typically our NASCAR. We want to get your thoughts on the Indy 500, but we also want to get your thought, thoughts on Charlotte that's also going on tomorrow as well. Steve? Um. Yeah, so I mean, where do you want me to start at? <laughs> That's a lot of stuff in one statement. <laughs> just jump in there anywhere you want, buddy. You're good. It's just get, we're, we're, we're basically uh, uh, breaking down all 33 cars. We we just uh, uh, was talking with Tyson, and we're in row number five, and we're gonna get uh, thoughts from Matt here in a minute on row number five. We're basically talking about all the drivers in the Indianapolis 500. Now, in in the NASCAR has their uh, their race in Charlotte, so. Sir, I'm going to let you just talk about whatever you want to talk about. Go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it was actually pretty interesting what Penske said that he was uh, he was in favor of uh, you know guaranteeing full time drivers a spot into the field for the Indianapolis 500. Um, you know that's a lot of what NASCAR has been doing over the last decade or so. The full time teams um, that were either locked into the top 35 or now that they're you know a they have a charter that locked into every single race, regardless of what happens. Um, you know, I've, I've not kind of been of that opinion over, you know, over this entire period, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, if you were in the top 35 or if you were, have a charter, I don't think it should necessarily guarantee you the fast, uh, guarantee you a spot in the field because, uh, you know, the racing has never been about, uh, you know, being guaranteed into anything. Uh, it's about being built, building the best, fastest car that can ride on the rails uh, and get out there and post the fastest lap possible. Um, you know, I can kind of see the frustration over in the IndyCar side as to, you know, somebody that's very popular missing the field of 33 uh, for tomorrow. But, uh, again, you know, I, you racing regardless of what – um, you know, what series or what division that you're in. It's about building the best car and outrunning the rest of the field. And regardless of, you know, regardless of, you know, whether people's thoughts are somebody should be locked in because they're they're a full-time driver in the series or not, 
Uh, there's a lot of drivers that go to lower series and, uh, you know, they show up on race day and they build a car and they outrun some of the best that have been going to, you know, either that track or they've been in that series for a long, long time. And I think that's just, you know, what racing just comes down to in form, any form of motorsports, really. Um, so for guaranteeing people in just because it is the Indianapolis 500, um, you know, for years and years and years before the top 35 or even the charters, we didn't guarantee anybody into the Daytona 500. You came down, you built a car, and you were the fastest car. You got you got to sit on, uh, you know, the field of 43 or the field of 40 or, you know, whatever the numbers have changed over the years. And, uh, you know, sure, there's some, you know, we can – Sure, I, I, I like I said, I can see some, you know, positives into it. But, again, um, I've always been on the fence of, you know, build the best car, come out and outrun everybody out there regardless of who you are. Put everybody on a level playing field and uh, let the fastest 33 or 40 or whatever the number is entering the race go run. Absolutely. I, and that's what I said all along. I, I think uh, Schmidt Motorsports did the right thing with James Hinchcliffe and just running uh, the car. It just didn't happen. It just didn't happen. And they ran the best car that, that qualified for them. We'll, we're back to you, Matthew. We're row number five. Uh, certainly uh, feel free to add any thoughts of what you've heard uh, Tyson and Steve uh, uh, talk about. But we're in uh, row number five uh, for the uh, field of 33, Matt. Well, let's take a look at Steve's situation first. I mean, remember, Team Penske failed to qualify for this race in 1995. So if anybody fails to qualify, Andretti Autosport failed to qualify cars in 2011. So it's not a doom and gloom scenario, as everyone's saying, you know, about Hinchcliffe not making it in. I think right now the race will continue on. They've always had a tradition about the fastest 33, and I don't think this is going to change anything on that. Now, as far as row five, uh, great opportunity for Zachary Clayman DeMello. Uh, they put the aggressive qualified stuff that Borde was running on the car last Sunday, and it made a huge difference. He jumped from where he was. I believe he's like 27th after bump day. He jumped all the way to 13th. And uh, I think if they put the same aggressive race setup that Jones was on there, remember, if not for a broken front nose cone, Ed Jones may have won the race last year. And then you look to the guys next to them, if not for blown engines, uh, Ryan Hunter Ray would have been a threat. And considering Matt Chilton teammate was Charlie Kimball, and Chilton led 50 laps, I think Kimball would have been a threat. So you've got three power players on that fifth row, uh, one that I think people are that's flying under the radar in ZCD, uh, who's had a great month considering he didn't have this ride until one day before practice opened. And then you've got two contenders and veterans, and Ryan Hunter Ray always seems to be a contender. And then you have a, a Charlie Kimball who doesn't race, you know, balls to the wall super impressively, but somehow he finds a way to get top tens here at the Indy 500. So in the essence of time, what we're going to do for the rest of the rows and so that we can get on all of our NASCAR, because we, we do have a hard stop at 1030 because we've got to get into our NFL talk with Ed Kratz and uh, Mo from the BS Sports Show. Certainly a, a big uh, rule came down on the kneeling uh, with the national anthem, and so certainly that's something that we want to talk about at the bottom of the hour. And I know that we've got a hard stop with Steve at, at uh, 1030 as well. So we'll just kind of... Take uh, one row. Each person take one row until we get up to the top here, and then we'll get, when we go to Steve, we'll kind of talk a little bit about NASCAR. Uh, we'll start with you, Matthew. Uh, we're we're in row number four. Uh, TK, Tony Kanon, Matthew Least, and Marco Andretti. Wow, has he got the monkey off his back? Will we see another Andretti in victory lane at Indianapolis? 
I think we'll see another Andretti suffer from the Andretti curse. Like I said with the Andretti, I just think he's got the wrong engine. Uh, and even if he were to get up there, what I've also seen from Marco Andretti the last few years is an unwillingness to show the aggression necessary to win the race. And I think that's going to haunt him again to, tomorrow if he's in that position. The Foyt cars are definitely dark horses. I think Laced has the aggression. Hopefully he's got the maturity now to be able to keep the car out of trouble and get to the finish. And you can never count out TK. And trust me, if he is up there late, along with the guys like maybe an Ed Carpenter, the fans are going to be cheering and maybe giving him that extra 10% possibly, maybe steal a race and possibly get a second win. Tyson, we're going to go up to row number three. And this is perfect for you and, 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 and uh, uh, Steve because we've got Danica Patrick. Her return to Indianapolis has been nothing less than amazing. And I think a lot of us would say if she finishes in the top ten with Ed Carpenter racing, Ed Carpenter is going to be on the phone with her on Monday signing the contract to bring her back next year. Even though she says no, she's going to be back if she does well at the Indianapolis 500. Tyson, Danica Patrick, Elio Castaneves, he's back and uh, he's only racing the Indianapolis 500. He's uh, searching for his fourth win in Scott Dixon. I mean, wow. Row number four is exciting. Tyson? This row is, is honestly the definition of potential. You have three drivers here who could easily, you know, even with Honda maybe not having the speed and Scott Dixon, you have three, dri- three drivers here who could easily uh, win at the end of the day. Danica Patrick, I think a lot of people uh, didn't expect her to show a lot uh, coming back from NASCAR to IndyCar, but she she showed she did not miss a beat at all. Uh, this is a strong Ed Carpenter racing team. I think one of these three drivers is going to win the race. Uh, uh, I don't think it's going to be Danica, but you know I think uh, Ed Carpenter racing, it's just a really strong team this year. They've really got it figured out, as they often do. Um, and Danica's great at this track. She's going to have a good showing on Sunday for sure, as long as she makes it to uh, to the finish. Elio going for his fourth win, and he has um, a lot of incentive here to win as well. You know, Roger Penske told him, if you win this race, I guarantee you that you can come back next year and run it again. So Elio, he, he wants to prove that he should still be in IndyCar, and, and by winning this race, it would allow him to come back for sure next year. Scott Dixon really great at this track as well 2008 winner of the indy 500 he hasn't won since then um but i think this pnc bank car uh if they can just you know if honda can find the speed they they seem to have the reliability this year if they can find some extra speed for race day that's going to be a contender for the win as well you know, I had a chance to briefly talk with Elio Castanevis. I said, Elio, why don't you do what other drivers do and go over to uh, NASCAR? And his response was, the captain said no. Uh, so <laughs> apparently that's not even on the table. We're going to Steve uh, Wilson now. Steve, Danica Patrick, obviously big news for NASCAR as well. Charlotte, uh, you got Charlotte t- uh, uh, tomorrow as well. Uh, a lot of uh, drama with both tracks, but... Talk with us a little bit about Danica. Let's just play fun here for a moment. Let's make believe that Danica actually can win this race. If she wins this race on her last race of never winning a race except for the one IndyCar race in Japan, then it's huge. That's mammoth. I mean, that's just earth-shattering news for both both uh, uh, events. So, uh, Steve Wilson, uh, your thoughts on Danica's return to IndyCar for the Indy 500, and give us a preview of Charlotte tomorrow. 
Well, with Danica coming back over to Indianapolis 500 and running as well as she really has, uh, you know, she's been out of those types of cars for nearly a decade prior to returning this weekend. Um, You know, I think it's kind of surprising to a lot of different people. Maybe it's not to some. Uh, If she wins this race, you you know, there's always that, you know, uh, you know, it's kind of the mentality of somebody wins the championship, but they, you know, already said that they were going to retire um, and not come back. So it's kind of, you know, it puts it in that catch-22 situation of do you come back and defend or do you uh, just keep up with, you know, you saying that you retired. Um, for her, I think it's, you know, uh, I think it's time for her. Um, she has enough other business opportunities regardless of what happens tomorrow in the Indianapolis 500. Um, she's got some new things coming down the pipe, and I think it's at the end of the day. It's just um, if she wins or if she, even if she posts, you know, a podium finish tomorrow, um, it, it's, you know, I think it's time for her to um, set the sunset and go on. As far as Coke 600 this weekend, um, you know, Martin Truex Jr., who last year uh, led not only the most laps, but the most miles in the history of the race with 396 laps of it. Um, you know, he, he did not have the greatest qualifying. He was going to start just outside of the top 10 tomorrow night. Uh, Kevin Harvick, who's just been on a rail all season long, uh, winning the all-star race last weekend and winning um, five races already this year. Uh, he could not pass Tech, uh, got sent back to the garage. The car chief was suspended. Um, and he's going to he's gonna have a tough road to get to the front, although there is, you know, a lot of racing to go tomorrow night. Um, you know, you, you know, Jimmy Johnson, who, again, this has been somebody that's been, all, you know, on the rail and owned that place for many, many years. Uh, again, he's not somebody that I'm looking at tomorrow night to even be able to go out there and contend for a win. There's just too many people, too many fast drivers right now, too many fast cars, um, and he's just not on top of his game to go and make much noise tomorrow night, although he needs to because we're this deep into the season and we really haven't heard a lot from him, and this is probably one of the best places we may see something from him, but it's not somewhere I think we're going to see anything coming out of him tomorrow night. Uh, you know, I do look as – I mean, I've already mentioned that Martin Truex Jr. is going to start outside of the top ten, but that in no way is any inclination as to what he's going to do. Um, I see him going to the front very, very quickly out there, but Kyle Busch sitting on the pole – um, you know, uh, Charlotte has, he's won there in the past, but you know, it's not been in any type of dominating fashion and there's a long way to go tomorrow night for him to, uh, go from the pole to winning the Coca-Cola 600. So I think it's just, uh, he's going to have to maintain. There's a lot of other drivers. There's going to be attrition, uh, through this race over 400 laps and 600 miles. And, uh, you know, it's not only the car, but the driver, too. The exhaustion factor in the last 100-plus miles is typically where we see the cream of the crop come to the top and who's going to end up winning this event. We are in the field of 33. We're talking with uh, uh, Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor from Popular Open Wheel Now, Tyson Lautenschlager from OnPitRoad.com, who does a lot uh, of knowledge with NASCAR and IndyCar. Uh, Speedway editor and publisher of Speedway Digest, who we've teamed up with at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. We are talking NASCAR. We are talking IndyCar. We've got about 15 minutes uh, left in our racing segment. 
And and just as a programming note, we'll be back on our normal uh, schedule next week. I know we've spent a lot of time on IndyCar the last few weeks, uh, but that's been by design because it's the Indianapolis 500. Matthew, it's your turn. We're in row number two. Joseph Newgarden, who could win this race. Sebastian Bourdais, you and I were out there last year when he hit the wall just to see what he, where he came from from last year to this year. And Spencer Piggott, another ECR uh, driver who, who's really kind of been struggling, uh, and now he's there. And you got got to give hats off to uh, ECR Racing. They have really did a great job at Indy this month. And how cool would that be to see Ed Carpenter uh, at, 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 in victory lane as well, especially if you live here in Indiana. Matthew, Joseph Newgarden, Sebastian Bourdais, or Spencer Piggott? And before we get to Piggott, how about talk about bounce backs? How about for race engineer Alan McDonald? Alan McDonald was sacked at the end of last year by Schmidt Peterson, who went with Lena Gade. Schmidt Peterson fails to get James Hinchcliffe in. Alan McDonald running the ECR program has three cars in the top seven. Talk about a big reversal there. Piggott, I tell you. For a guy that has finished no better than 14th in any of the first five rounds this season, he certainly is a dark horse in this event. I think he is definitely under the radar. There's a lot of people, you know, kind of poo-pooing this and saying, oh, he'll fade back early. If he is around at the halfway point, don't forget about this guy. This guy has shown enough aggression. I mean, you don't win the Indy Lights title because you're lucky. And then you look at Bourdais. I think of the Honda drivers right now. He is the one that's got the best shot at this. Again, I think he's got the aggression late. I mean, the first time he came here in 2005, the same year Danica came here, he almost won the race as well. And then Newgarden. I think of the three or the four Penske cars that are up there, I think Newgarden is the one that has the best chance to win the race. Uh, you know, the pairing with between him and Sindrick has been flawless. I think the scenarios right now set the stage. And if there is a Penske car that will win, I think the most likely pick would be this guy, Joseph Newgarden. All right, guys, we are here. The final row, row number one, Ed Carpenter on the pole. I'll tell you what. Let me just tell you, I was there on pole day, and I can just tell you this. This is an honest, true statement. I put it in my article on Speedway Digest as well. I'm standing there kind of by where pit row uh, lane is, at, by Victory Lane. Uh, Matthew, you know where I'm talking about. You know where we, where we were doing our live shots from. Uh, I was standing there. Of course, packed. We see Ed Carpenter go out there. We see Ed Carpenter hit 230. I'm not kidding you when I say this. That whole Indianapolis Motor Speedway erupted. I mean, every turn, everybody in the stands were on their feet. Then we see it again, and then when we see Ed Carpenter qualify for last, Matthew, you and I talked about this multiple times. He drew the last qualification. He was last to go out and to get the pole. I heard a guy behind me say, this is why I come to Indianapolis. That just gave me goosebumps, and I tell you what, he was absolutely right because I look down on my arm as I talk about it right now. It gives me goosebumps. Ed Carpenter on the pole, and then Simon Patajan and Will Power. Tyson, you're up. Yeah, so when you look at row number one, our, our leading row, Ed Carpenter, Simon Pagina, Will Power, these three all looking for their first Indy 500 wins, which might come as a surprise to a lot of people. You look at Ed Carpenter and – and when you think about him, he's probably one of the best drivers at this track, but his best finish in the Indy 500 is only fifth. Uh, and you look at his last three, three of the last four races that he's run at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, 27th, 
30th, 31st, and 11th. His, his last couple showings have not been what he wanted, two crashes in those last four. Ed Carpenter, I think he's definitely the fastest driver. I would say he should be one of the favorites to win this race. But you just really never know with this racetrack. You never know with Indy. You never know with Ed Carpenter. He's got a Chevrolet engine. This is a team with a lot of experience and a driver with a lot of experience who definitely shines on the ovals, uh, so much so that he only runs the ovals now. But I, I just don't know if, if Ed's going to be able to pull it off. This could be his year. It, it's going to be, we'll have to wait till tomorrow to know. But this Ed Carpenter racing team, they've got it figured out this uh, this month of May. Uh, they have a lot of speed, and, and I think we could see Ed Carpenter finally pull it off. I just, I don't know, and I'm, I'm, I don't want to pull the, uh, pull the trigger <laughs> on picking him just quite yet. Simon Pagano, another guy, I, I think he's got a lot of confidence heading into this Indy 500. Uh, I think the thing is, you know, as Matt said, of the, the Penske guys, Joseph Newgarden's probably the one that you would put the money on to win this race out of the Penske boys, but I think... All three of them really, Will Power, Simon Pagano, Joseph Newgarden, all three of them really want to win this race bad for Roger Penske, and I think all three of them have that capability of doing it. They're all champions in the IndyCar Series, and uh, none of them have won at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I think one of those three, if not all three, have a really strong chance of doing that this weekend. Uh, so Power, Pagano, uh, and Ed Carpenter, I think all three of these guys will probably be around at the finish and probably be in contention. Guys, we've got about five minutes left. We want to get our picks in. We're going to start with you, Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest. Who's your pick for the winner of the 102nd running of the Indianapolis 500? Oh, come on, man. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I tell you what, I'll just go with um, and uh, for that one, who who'd you pick? Will Power. Will Power. That's not a bad pick. That's not a bad pick at all. Um, Matthew Matthew Embry, popular open wheel now. Who's your official pick for the winner of the 102nd running of the Indianapolis 500? If they can avoid the pit stop bugs that have plagued them the last several years, and that's why they have cost and they have made the poor decisions as far as keeping the car set up, if they can get those bugs out of the way, I think Ed Carpenter has the speed to hold off the Penske cars. I really think he could pull off a huge surprise here and get the victory, uh, and it would be a very popular one. Uh, as loud as you heard the crowd go crazy for him every year he's here, just imagine how big the celebration would be around Victory Circle if he does end up taking the checkered flag uh, on Sunday 1st. Tyson Lawton-Sawyer, what's your official pick for the winner of the 102nd running of the Indianapolis 500? So my official pick is the other uh, Ed Carpenter racing car that is not Ed Carpenter or Danica Patrick. I'm going with Spencer Piggott, which may come as a huge surprise for people. He's never won an IndyCar race, but he has shown a lot more speed than I expected him to show, even you know having an Ed Carpenter racing car behind him. He's got two veteran teammates to lean on with a ton of experience at Indy. And I've never really thought of Spencer Piggott as much of an oval driver before, but this month he's just he's been someone I've been really watching, and, and I see a lot of uh, talent out of him, uh, as I think we've all seen over the years. But I think this just, for some reason, this might be his year. I've just got a really good feeling about him. 
but I've also got Tony Kanan in there as a dark horse, which it sounds strange to have him as a dark horse, but AJ Foyt Racing is kind of a team that has uh, often struggled uh, for the past several years, but they seem to have a lot of uh, speed behind them this uh, month as well. And how cool would it be to see the number 14 AJ Foyt Racing car in victory lane at Indianapolis Motor Speedway? If he can do it, it'll be Tony Khan's second Indy 500 win. He won uh, here a few years ago with Chip Ganassi Racing. Uh, so we'll see what can happen here um, for Tony Khan. I, I don't know if he's going to win, but he's he's my official dark horse pick. All right, guys, it's time for the official balance pick of the winning of the 100th running of the Indianapolis 500. Okay, so I'm going to do like Tyson did. I'm going to give my 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 uh, pick. And then I'm going to give my dark horse pick. Uh, so my dark horse pick, I'm going to when we tweet out our picks, it's going to be my official pick. Uh, obviously, you'll know why it is here in just a moment. But uh, for the safe sakes of, of knowing what I've seen out there at the track, knowing what it means to him, and knowing what it means to the fans, Elio Castaneves, a win for him would be huge. I would not be surprised if, he, if he's in victory lane. Now, for the official balance pick, the pick of the balance, Graham Rahal, Rahal Ludman Racing, uh, come from the back, uh, really going to have to battle his way through traffic, but it would be fantastic to see him in victory lane. He's earned it. He's done a great job. Uh, and, and then to have RLL have two back, well, I know that uh, Samo, Tomoko Soto was not with RLL last year, but it'll go a long way for them next year. Uh, as far as if they have two Indy 500 champions on their team. So the balance, official pick for the 102nd running of the Indianapolis 500 is Graham Rahal. Guys, real quickly, we've got to wrap it up and put a bow on it. We'll start with you, Matthew. Final thoughts and words of wisdom. I'd say right now, if you're looking for a dark horse, I didn't mention it, I'd say Piggott's certainly one. And then for my pick uh, for Rookie of the Year, I didn't think I was going to say it, considering he only got this ride one day before practice. But I think uh, the favorite four, based on the strength of that Dale Coin car for Rookie of the Year, it's got to be Zachary Clayman DeMano. Tyson, final words of wisdom. Yeah, I 100% agree with uh, with Matt there. I think Zach Clayman DeMello is going to be Rookie of the Year. Uh, based on a few things, I think he's going to run the best. And we saw last year Fernando Alonso win Rookie of the Year, and uh, the way that that's picked isn't necessarily on finishing the best of the rookies. It's who shows the, the you know the spirit of, of Indianapolis and who runs uh, the best throughout the month of May. And and from what I've seen, Zach Clemente has been a huge surprise, and I think he's run really well, and I think he's going to continue that in the 500. He's my pick to win Rookie of the Year. Um, I think for the fans that, that watch this race each year, and maybe they only watch the Indy 500, they don't watch other IndyCar races, they see uh, a really racy race. You know, a lot of lead changes, a lot of passing, and, and sometimes some spectacular crashes. I don't think that those fans should expect maybe the same Indy this year just because of the new aero package, the new aero kit. Uh, I think we're going to see a great race. I don't think we're going to see as much passing, which um, is kind of unfortunate but i think we're going to see a really exciting race tomorrow and i hope a lot of people tune in and watch it and if you can be at the track i'm really jealous uh but i think it's going to be a great race tomorrow <laughs> well i'll tell you what tyson anytime you want to come out to the indianapolis motor speedway let me know and and uh we'll we'll hook you up you're always welcome here in indianapolis steve wilson our partner in crime this month out at the uh, out at the track we've helped him he's helped us 
uh, Steve, we appreciate all that you've done for us uh, during the month of May and helping us uh, get out there at the track and cover for you and, and you uh, allowing us to do what we do as well. Uh, certainly follow us on at T-Balance for all the action at the track tomorrow, and we'll be out there early, by the way. Steve Wilson, any final words of wisdom or thoughts? Um, not only is it going to be hot up there in Indianapolis, but it's going to be hot in Charlotte tomorrow night. Um, you know, attrition again in both of these, um, not only with cars themselves, but, you know, uh, fatigue is going to potentially be an issue. Um, so, um, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're in the stands, drink a lot of water tomorrow. If you're in the car, um, go get a couple bags of IVs because you're going to need it. Well, I'll tell you one thing. It is going to be hot. It's going to be a record high here tomorrow, around 90 degrees. And uh, so I would say start drinking water now. Uh, and uh, alcohol is not hydration, although I, I, I think there's an argument for that. But certainly, yeah, I'll drink uh, plenty of water. There's uh, water and beer, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There's water and beer. And, guys, I'll finish this off. Yesterday, out at Carb Day, doing a live shot. I asked someone, give me a quote of Carb Day. What describes Carb Day? His, his quote was, titties and beer. Guys, I leave you with titties and beer. My name is Tom Marcos Del Presidente. We've got to take a break. We'll be back with Mo from the BS Sports Show, Ed Kratz, and our executive producer, Rick Riggin. We're going to be talking about, well, you guessed it, kneeling in the NFL. We'll be right back on the Balance Radio Network. Give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire.
and it all boils down to that one moment when the race starts. So for me, that, that kind of intensity and that, that feeling that you get right before the event, that's what it's all about. Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim, here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom Markwell, Presidente. We have reached uh, the final quarter of the show. Uh, we have spent the last 90 minutes breaking down the field of 33 at Indianapolis. That's right, guys. Tomorrow is the 102nd running of the Indianapolis 500, and it has been exciting to be out at the track all month long. And certainly uh, Legends Day out at the track, a lot of autograph sessions, uh, public drivers meeting and concerts today, as well as the parade downtown Indianapolis, all getting geared up for the race tomorrow. Uh, thank you for uh, uh, Matthew Embry of, of, of Popular Open Wheel Now. Uh, thank you to uh, Tyson Lotzlager of, uh, of uh, OnPitRoad.com and Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest as well. Well, guys, we're, we're going to shift gears now. We're going to get into this conversation, uh, and I play the NFL theme for a reason. We've got Ed Kratz, uh, uh, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and our official NFL contributor. We've got Mo from the BS Sports Show, and we've got Rick, our uh, executive producer, on uh, with us. So, uh We'll start with you, Mo. Good uh, good morning to you, sir. I'm already moved into the afternoon. How are you doing, Mo? I am hanging in there. Hanging in there. All right. And we appreciate Ed Kratz. Ed, I know you've been very busy this morning, and I appreciate you taking a few minutes to, to, to talk with us today. How are you doing, sir? Hey, I'm doing good, Tom. Thank you. Just trying to get some yard work done before the rain moves in later tonight. So 
Hopefully and I can. can't uh, say it's a race. It's a race. I'm having my own race. It's a race against the rain. Well, let me let me tell you this. This is a rule in Indianapolis. You cannot say the word rain all weekend long. <laughs> Rick, Rick, uh, Rick. Rick Riggin, our executive producer, been man in the war room for us. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, Rick, uh, and congratulations, uh, those of you who don't know, uh, Rick became, officially became an old man this week. His daughter graduates high school. Congratulations to you, sir. Uh, thank you very much, and looking forward to the uh, big graduation party uh, uh, later on today. Just a, a lot of yingling and uh, Coors Lights and just what have you. We'll smoke some chicken, so very good time. Looking forward to it. Uh, Right after the show, I, I get started on my end of things. Well, the, the smoking or the drinking? <laughs> <laughs> Pick one. Pick one. <laughs> so, you know, here it's fitting that, that we have this conversation today. Uh, it's Memorial Day weekend. Uh, the NFL uh, passed down a new ruling. I think the majority of fans are happy with it. We're going to go around our panel here. It's gotten a lot of protests. Uh, but I can tell you, I think that the protests are smaller than those that agree with it. The, the, the NFL, and we'll have Ed break it down for us officially, but the NFL basically says, if you're going to kneel, you're going to pay. And, and not only are you going to pay, you're also going to be uh, – I think – correct me if I'm wrong, Ed, but I think there's going to be some uh, yardage penalties as well. You do not have to come out on the field. You can stay in the locker room. Now, here's what I predict to happen. The players that are staying in the locker room – are going to be sending out all kinds of social media stuff. Uh, are going to be saying that uh, you know all all kinds of unfairness because they're inside the locker room. Let me ask you this, Ed. First, break down the rule, and then second of all, do you think what we'll see is a united united team front where teams actually stay in the locker room? Uh, well, yeah, the rule uh, is going to be kind of up to the each individual team as well to determine you know how they will. Uh, punish the players but you know i understand what the nfl is doing um you know i guess there were you know there, some of their fan base was a little upset with uh you know the protests that uh were going on across the league uh i just think it's kind of toothless really uh, of a rule i mean i don't see jeffrey Lurie or robert Kraft or any of these billionaire owners disciplining any sort of you know handing down any sort of discipline against players if they want to stay in the locker room um you know to me I I just don't understand how, you know, in a country where freedoms were, you know, were founded on freedom to protest, you're not going to let players protest. They're, they're not protesting a flag. It's a mis- big misconception. They're not protesting against the country. But you look at what's taking place against the black people in America, and really that's what they're trying to bring uh, to light. And, you know, to not let people protest to me is against, you know, the freedom of speech and what this country was founded on. I think it's you know, I think the NFL kind of needed to do what it had to do because some of its fan base was upset, but I, I just don't agree with it whatsoever. Well, you know, and, and it's okay to agree to disagree. I, I, I agree to disagree. I, I think that there's certain sacred things in our, in, our, in our world and in our country, and I think that Memorial Day represents what one of those sacred things are. Memorial Day represents – uh, and I'm, I'm a veteran. My son's in, in the military. Rick's a veteran. So we're very proud of our troops. It's certainly nothing against uh, Ed's opinion. Uh, certainly agree to disagree. But I think there are certain things that are sacred. And you have that First Amendment right because of 
being in the, the nation. And so because that we live in a nation that gives you that First Amendment right, you should at least pay respect to the, to the national anthem and, and the flag. Uh, we'll go to you, Mo. Go right ahead. Well, I mean, you know, it's obviously, like, uh, like I said, I think it's because it's effectively the NFL's bottom line. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, was it the right time or the right uh, thing to use for players to protest? Probably not, but they wanted to take something that uh, had eyes on it, and they did that. But if the NFL is going to make it to where you need to stand for the anthem or whatever you want to do, then I feel like they should close all their uh, concession stands during the anthem and not sell the $10 beers and the $8 hot dogs and, uh, you know, shut down those concession stands and stuff like that. You know, make it uh, for everybody, not just for the players to do it, but for the fans too. So if the NFL wants to do that, fine. Let's cut off all, all, uh, everything during the uh, national anthem. So it is uh, 100% paid attention to. But I, I agree with that. I think it's wrong for the NFL to tell to, uh, to not allow protests if they want. Whether you agree with it or not, it's still their right. And uh, I, I don't like the NFL just doing it. Again, the NFL being reactionary instead of uh, instead of working with maybe like the players' union to move it forward. You know, the NBA doesn't seem to have an issue because their commissioner tends to, uh, you know, invite the players in. He has an open door where the players can come in, and he'll, he'll discuss things with the players and the players' union. And I think that if the uh, NFL decided at this point to uh, – make it more like the NBA does with their commissioner. If their commission was a lot more open to things and, and would involve the players more and stuff and invite players in to talk about issues that they, we might have a, a better situation in the NFL. Well, I certainly agree with you, Mo. I would be totally in favor of not buying that $10 beer during the national anthem. That's great. Fine. Uh, in fact, I, I would totally respect that. Um, but here's the thing. As, as we see other sports not having a problem with this, and I, I, get, I get what we're, we're, we're the real foundation of this protest is, and, and that the majority of NFL players are black, and I get that, and I understand that. <clears throat> but what I am saying is, but we don't have the problem in the NBA, and let's face it, the majority of the NBA players are black. If, do, do we have a scarred history, a past in our nation that we should be ashamed of and disgraced of? Yes, Absolutely. And is there things that happen within our country, within our bounds, and does racism still exist? Yes, absolutely. But the thing about it is, unfortunately, that happened. But we are united. They call us the United States of America. And what unites us is that flag. What unites us is that national anthem. And the reason that we do that before every uh, sporting event out there. I was out at the track all month long. I'll be out there tomorrow. One of the biggest events that happened is the national anthem. And I looked around. I didn't see anybody kneeling. I didn't see anybody sitting. I didn't see any driver uh, taking offense to the national anthem. Now, I know it's a different caliber of people, and I understand that. But at the same time, I think that that, that freedom that we have, to have that freedom is what unites us. Rick, go right ahead. Yeah, at the beginning of the segment, I mean, you were right on, you know, Memorial Day, Memorial Day weekend. This is all about you know, the sacrifices, you know, for our soldiers, our men and women that gave everything uh, uh, for the freedom of speech. And, you know, with the new NFL rule, if you want to stay in the locker room, if you if you want to protest, uh, that takes away the freedom of speech. I agree with Ed. Uh, but I guess my question with poor Ed, though, maybe just get his best thoughts on it uh, with the new NFL rule. In the NBA, uh, you have to stand. I mean, you'll be in a lot of trouble, fines or whatever it is, if you do decide to kneel. You have to stand in the NBA. So why do you think nobody is up in arms about the NBA rule? 
Well, yeah, I, I don't know why anybody's up, you know, not up in arms about that. But you know, the NFL, if you remember back, I think maybe ten years ago or so, they didn't even have the teams come out during the national anthem. And the NFL sort of brought this on themselves when they decided to accept money from the government to honor the troops before games. And that's why we, we, we see, you know, these big, huge flags that are rolled out during the national anthem and, you know, for the home openers and for big football games, they bring out the big flag and they bring in the troops and the players stand with them and they hold the flag. But, you know, before maybe I think 2008, somewhere around there, players stayed in the locker room. They weren't on the field for the anthem. Then they came out after the anthem. They were introduced. Uh, but now with the NFL deciding to take money from the government to honor the troops, which to me is, is you know, criminal in itself that they would accept millions, uh, you know, millions of dollars from the federal government to, to do this. I don't know why they wouldn't do it on their own or just keep the policy in place. So, you know, to me, they kind of brought this whole issue on themselves. And, uh, you know, I, I just I do not agree with the rule at all. You know, I, I, they're not disrespecting the flag. I know it unites us. There are many things in this country that unite us, not just the flag and the anthem. You know, we are the United States and we should be uh, honoring, you know, America. And we do that in many ways. It's not just singing the anthem. There's nowhere in the Constitution that says you have to stand for the national anthem. I just think you're trampling on the, you know, on the right to protest, which this country's founded on the, 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 the basic tenet of free speech. Uh, and, you know, and we see that all the time now with, uh, you know, the leadership in place right now. That's what they try to do, uh, attacking the media. You know, to me, I'm a member of the media, and to me, I, I frankly have had enough of it. You know, and I'm angry about it, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm angry about what this, uh, you know, what the NFL has decided to do. I, I'm anxious to see how it's enforced, uh, you know, by the owners. They're, it's going to be a toothless policy. Uh, you know, teams will probably stay in the locker room uh, before games. You know, I don't think you're going to see, you know, three or four people doing it. I've talked to enough players in the locker room both, on both sides of, of, you know, whether you're for uh, the president or against him. I've spoken to uh, players who support him and players who don't. And they all agree that this is kind of a trampling of the basic tenet of freedom of speech. Hey, Tom, well, if it, I can. Here's a Go right ahead. Can I, can I pose a question? So I think we've gotten two separate issues wrapped up here for so long with, with this thing because, uh, you know, it started out with, with players wanting to protest. Again, not protest the flag, but they decided to take that time to do it to protest the way that African-Americans were being treated by police and others. And let me ask you this. So let's say that people didn't kneel uh, for, for the anthem and didn't protest. Everybody stood. But let's say six guys on offense, after a guy scored a touchdown, took a knee, kneeled, and put a fist in the air. Would we still have issues with it? I'm sure. I'm sure we'd still be talking about it because there would be an issue there. So I think that we've wrapped the, the flag issue in with the protest issue too much, and I think we've kind of gotten away from originally what it was. But I think that if, if it changed to where guys did some sort of protest type mover in the, in the end zone after a touchdown that we would see just as much outrage, maybe even if not more from a, just a different angle. So I don't know that it, it necessarily at times it, it, it has to do with the flag. And I think that's where we maybe have gotten lost in it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Mo, I agree with you. I agree with you, Rick. And, and Ed, actually, I do agree with you too, as far as, uh, you know, the, the, the hate on the media, but we, we could get onto another topic about who, who, who supports our president, who doesn't support our president. I don't think this is a presidential rule, and you mentioned that money was given to the NFL by the government. I think it was certain uh, uh, military organizations. I don't know if it was directly from the government, but I had heard, and, and honestly, Ed, I don't, and this is a question because I don't have the answer to it, but I had heard that that's no longer going on. Do you know? No, I, I don't see how it can. No, it isn't. I don't see it. Once it came to light, they, they stopped doing that, but 
uh, you know, and now, I mean, I don't know how you're going to, uh, to do this if, you know, players aren't going to come out of the locker room. You know, you're not going to have them standing with the military, you know, to show their support. But for years they did that. But they were required to do that because the NFL was receiving money from whether it was the government or, you know, the Army or, you know, any branch of the military. I think it might have been the Department of Defense, but I'm not sure. But, um, but now no, that's not taking place anymore. Um, you know, and that's a great point Mo made is, you know, we're kind of wrapping up, you know, we're, we're talking about two things, you know, the protests and then, you know, disrespecting, you know, the country with the, with the flag. Um, so, you know, I agree with Mo on that point. Well, here, here's my thing. I, I think what we're not going to do, and it's, and again, I, I am not certainly uh, trying to live under a rock and think that, that uh, yes, I'm, I, I am a, a white man in suburbia America. Uh, I, uh, am, I am not starving. I am not in jail. I don't have cops uh, chasing me. I, uh, maybe I live that white privileged life, so I clearly admit that I do not know what it's like to be a black man. But what I can say is that I think we, we are aware as a country. I think we're very aware of the problems that we have. The unfortunate thing, again, not trying to live underneath a rock, but the unfortunate thing is it did come down to money. And I think that the NFL realized, just like the nation realized, that they uh, weren't going to solve the problem. And they were getting hit economically. Uh, and you're right, Ed, that, that money came, and then, you know, it came to light, and then it stopped. So maybe a lot of this problem was self-induced. And I get the reason why they're protests. There are cops that are bad cops. There are racist people in America, and that's unfortunate part of our society. And it is unfortunate that there's a certain element, uh, climate of our society that uh, is discriminated against and is treated badly. But I just don't know that kneeling in front of the national anthem is going to change the problem or make anybody any more aware. And I think at the end of the day, it does come down to money. And fans spend money, and a lot of fans don't like the kneeling. And I think that's what it comes down to. I don't think it's a Trump thing. I don't think it's a Democrat thing or Republican thing. I think the fan base that spends money... Does not like it. Even though the majority, guys, even though the majority of uh, players are black in the NFL, let's face it, the majority of black people in America follow the NBA rather than the the NFL. The majority of fans at the NFL are white, privileged Americans. Rick? Uh, I have a crazy question or whatever. You know, maybe some of this problem is is just with with the person who started the whole thing, Colin Kaepernick. What if this was somebody like Peyton Manning? That started this whole thing. How different would things be today? Well, what would the rule be? How how different would this whole past two years be in the NFL if somebody like Peyton Manning that took a knee? Tom, I guess I'll just start that with you. Okay, and then I'll let Ed get to that too as well. Here's exactly what would have happened if Peyton Manning had done it. Nothing. Nothing would have happened. And there, w- there wouldn't have even been a following. It wouldn't have even turned into a protest uh, because – you have a white guy who doesn't know anything about being discriminated as a black man. So it would not, be, would not have been latched onto. And I think that Colin, Colin Patrick, let's realize he's half white. Uh, this isn't a racist remark. Uh, let's face it, Colin Kilpatrick, at the end of the day, you can say what you want. It's my opinion, and I know that everybody has one. But my opinion is 
he was pissed off that he couldn't make it as a QB, and he wanted to stay relevant, and that was how he saw it happen because nothing in his life happened but the media. Again, Ed, I know you're part of the media. I'm not, I'm not disgraced with the media. They, they play a very vital role in, in everything that we do. Uh, but the media also created this monster as big as anybody else, meaning, meaning that what they did – is they focused in on that. They made it a huge story. They talked about it. They talked about it. They talked about it. They talked about it. And they become more political about it than they did just covering the story. Go ahead, Ed. Well, I mean, it's the media's job to report a story. And if someone decides that, you know, they're going to kneel and then they talk to him afterward and say he's trying to bring to light, you know, the social injustice that's out there, especially against the black, uh, black man and woman, then – uh, and it becomes a story, and you're going to write about it, and you're going to talk about it, and that's going to start the, you know, the conversation. Uh, you know, that's the media's job. Um, but as far as Peyton Manning goes, first of all, he never would have protested because, you know, he comes from that white privileged background. Uh, and second of all, you're right, Tom. Had he done it, nothing would have happened. It would have been a story. We would have talked about it. Uh, but then it probably would have gone away because people wouldn't have been that angered about it. But the media would have written about it. The media would have talked about it. They would have put it on television. But it wouldn't be the lightning rod that the Kaepernick uh, situation started. Hey, Mo, let me ask you this. Where are we at with this? What do you think? Where are we at with the media? Where are we at with the fans? Where are we at with the players? Where do we go from here? Well, you know, honestly, I think we've gotten to the point to where most people are just tired of it, honestly. I mean, you've got hardcore people on either side of it that uh, that want to keep doing it, people who are going to still be pissed off about it. But honestly, at the end of the day, I think most football fans just don't give a damn anymore. Um, for me, you know, uh, Colin Kaepernick's been one of those guys who actually has, you know, continued to try to follow up on it. That's what I want to see. If, you, if you're upset about it and you want to – and you, the guys who were protesting – follow up with it. We saw guys in Denver who met with the uh, members of the Denver Police Department. You know, we've seen, uh, we've seen you know, guys in uh, other places meet with leaders. So that's what I want to see. I want to see the conversation continue to move forward if you're going to protest, and that's what you want to do. I understand that, but figure out a way to how to move it forward, how to keep the conversation going, how to improve relations as opposed to just protesting. Protesting is fine, and that's your right, and I, I when anybody wants to protest, so be it, but how can you forward the conversation and, and try to help resolve it and get towards a solution? And some guys have done that, some guys haven't. But at the end of the day, uh, I think the NFL rule was stupid. I think it was a situation that was sort of, for the most part, taking care of itself. We had seen less and less and less and less guys do it. Uh, so I think at the end of the day, the NFL made a, a big misstep here. And, and like always, they've got themselves in another offseason PR mess. Okay, Ed, uh, we are in the offseason. OTA is coming up. We, we know what, what, what's happened with the NFL rule. Real quickly, while we got you on the line here, just give us a preview of what's coming up in the NFL. Okay. Well, I just I agree with Rick 100% just quickly. I mean, that the issue was kind of taking care of itself. Malcolm Jenkins wasn't going to protest. You know, he wasn't going to raise his, his fist anymore. Uh, you know, he said that, the, you know, the issue had already kind of gone under the bridge. And uh, I don't think we would have seen any protests in the NFL. But now, because of this rule, we might see players sit in the locker room. And teams might decide, you know what, let's just stay in the locker room. We won't go out at all. So now you've kind of opened that can of worms again. Uh, you know, I think it was a big misstep by Roger Goodell, obviously. He, and then he comes out and says that it was a unanimous vote. It wasn't. You know, a lot of the owners didn't even vote on it. 
uh, you know, to me, it's just, you know, Roger Goodell trying to be a mouthpiece to the owners and, uh, you know, he, he miscalculated on this. But what's coming up in the NFL is you have OTAs. I know the Eagles and teams across the NFL are, are participating in OTAs right now. It's all voluntary stuff uh, at this point. And then at, at some point, I know the Eagles open up a, a mandatory uh, mini camp June 12th, 13th, and 14th, three days. Every team does it probably around that time, same time frame. And that's when it becomes mandatory and you begin to see – uh, players at that point, if they decide to hold out because of a contract situation like a Le'Veon Bell maybe in Pittsburgh who isn't showing up for the OTAs while they try to get a contract or other players like that. Uh, but you need to show up for this minicamp, uh, you know, early in June. Otherwise, you know, we'll see who's protesting, you know, to get a new contract. Um, and then after that, it's uh, five or six weeks off, and then, the, you know, the NFL training camps open at the end of July. So right now it's kind of neat to see football again, practicing here in Philadelphia Carson Wentz is recovering from the knee injury. He did, did, uh, we were able to watch practice uh, last week. We'll be able to do it again on Tuesday. Uh, and he moved pretty well. He didn't do anything in the uh, team drills, the 7-on-7 seven seven or the 11-on-11, 11 11, but he did everything in the individual drills. And I know Andrew Luck in Indianapolis, same situation. I don't know what he's doing uh, in the OTAs, how much throwing he's doing, but all eyes are on him and that shoulder to see if he can come back from that. I know Frank Reich isn't going to uh, push him in any way. Uh, the same way the Eagles won't push Wentz to get better. They have Nick Foles sitting there. Um, but, you know, there are injuries across the league and, uh, you know, some key ones, you know, Deshaun Watson in Houston, see how much he does during these OTA periods. Uh, but that's kind of what's going on right now. It's all voluntary stuff until uh, the mandatory mini camps begin uh, at some point uh, early June. Ed Kratz, we appreciate you joining us. I know you've been very busy the, uh, this morning, and we appreciate you coming in and, and uh, joining us uh, and, and chiming in on this very controversial subject of Memorial Day weekend. I hope we have a fantastic weekend, sir. All right. Thanks, guys. You too. All right. Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and our official contributor to uh, NFL contributor, uh, does a lot for the show. And, you know, we don't have to agree. We can agree to disagree. We'll start with uh, you real quickly, Mo. We do got to wrap this up, as I know that, that uh, uh, Rick has a graduation thing he's doing, and, you know, it's, it's that time of day. But uh, uh, I was talking to local media a lot today in uh, this week in the media center down at the Indianapolis uh, Motor Speedway. Their thoughts are that everything's going to be okay with Andrew Luck. Uh, they don't feel like that the Colts have been 100% transparent with us uh, and with the fans, but they do feel like that they've said enough to showed us enough to believe that Andrew Luck will be back. Had I think the telltale sign Mo would have been if they had drafted a quarterback in the first round or two rounds in the in the draft. That would have really showed us something. But the feeling I'm getting from talking to local media who's out there at the Colts Complex all the time that Andrew Luck is going to be back. Go ahead. Uh, I think Andrew Luck wants to be back, and I think the Colts want him to be back. But, uh, you know, there's still part of me that doubts that, uh, that he ever plays another NFL football game. I think there's more issues than we've been led to believe. We've seen the Colts, obviously, over the past couple, this past year and a half, have not been honest when it comes to Andrew Luck. Uh, I think that them signing JT Barrett from Ohio State as an undrafted free agent uh, is another sign that there's still questions and issues. Uh, I, I think Carson Wentz plays an NFL game before Andrew Luck, honestly, at this point. Uh, the, the future, uh, I don't think, looks very bright in Indianapolis as it sits today. Now, that, does that change by the time that the training camp and the season starts? Maybe. But I do not think Andrew Luck starts the season as the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. Wow. 
Breaking news from Mo from the BS Sports Show. Mo, where, where can people find your work on your masterpieces, sir? Uh, today at Rick's graduation party, it sounds like that's going to be a hell of a time. Uh, other than that, uh, oh, man, radio it? Show on Twitter. come on down. Come on down, buddy. <laughs> More than welcome. <laughs> We'll, we'll, we'll head on down there after the show. I'll be down there about awesome. 3 o'clock. Uh, okay, Mo, uh, we appreciate appreciate you, buddy, and uh, we'll talk with you soon. All right, thanks, guys. Mo, for the BS Sports Show, Ed Kratz joins us. And, Rick, uh, we'll wrap it up here, but I tell you what, it, it, it's clearly a polarizing subject. And I, I, I know us as our, in our show, we, we uh, the balance will always stand uh, – uh, for the national anthem, but there is that element of people that won't, and you know it kind of brings up an interesting point. I don't agree with it per se, uh, but he does mention the fact that the freedom, the First Amendment freedom, is being crushed on because we're punished to somebody for exercising that First Amendment uh, right. Go ahead, Rick. Yeah, and it's true. And the point I was trying to make with Peyton Manning, it, it's not you know that he he's white quarterback or white player or white guy or anything like that. I was just going for like a bigger name, a bigger stature guy. You know, maybe I should have said Larry Fitzgerald, uh, who's also an NFL uh, Man of the Year. You know, what if he was the one to start this whole thing off? How different would things be instead of a guy of Colin Kaepernick's stature? You know, that's really the point I was going after, and it wasn't. You know, once you said, you know, nothing would happen because Peyton Manning's white, I realized my mistake. I was just really going for the bigger name and not really coloring his <laughs> skin. But, uh, yeah, you know, but Ed is right. You know, you're going to suppress players and keep them in the locker room because they want to protest goals against every single thing that our men and women died for that we're honoring this weekend. And he's exactly right. And I, I, I don't agree with the NFL rules. So, uh, but that that's that's what it is. So, I mean, I think more people are going to protest now. It was going away. It was a dying light. You saw less and less of these protests, and now we're going to see a lot more of them uh, because of this new NFL rule. So fuel was added to the fire. Uh, Rick Riggin, uh, congratulations again on becoming an old man and joining the old, uh, old-timers <laughs> club, <laughs> if you will. Enjoy your time with your family. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. Uh, and, uh, Rick, uh, thanks for a man in the war room and social media for us. Uh, where can people find us on social media? Where can people find our podcasts, our, our work, our masterpieces? At T-Balance, uh, thebalanceonline.com, uh, at Riggin underscore Rick at Thomas Mark on Twitter, uh, anything, anywhere. I mean, you've probably seen us all over the Indy 500 the past two weeks. Uh, there's been a, uh, our listeners and have done a great job of uh, interacting with us on, on Twitter as far as Indy 500 goes these past couple weeks. So keep it up, and uh, we'll keep doing what we do. All right, buddy, you have yourself a good one. Uh, what you we're too, gonna thank do you. Here's what we're going to we're going to replay what I played earlier on in the show. And the reason for this is was our special Field of 33. Uh, you know, growing up, I remember not always being able to go to the Indianapolis uh, Motor Speedway, and, but also being able to listen to it on the radio. There's something special about listening to the Indianapolis 500 on the radio. The guy that made that iconic was Sid Collins. We've played this on the show before, but I just think this is a great piece to help understand the importance and the history of the Indianapolis 500. And we'll be out at the track tomorrow covering it uh, for us in Speedway Digest. So what we're going to do is we're going to end the show with what we kind of opened up with today, and that's a tribute to Sid Collins. 
from Indianapolis, Indiana, scene of the world's greatest race course, this is Sid Collins saying welcome to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. This racetrack has been the scene of some of the most spectacular, most thrilling, some of the saddest, and some of the most glorious moments in the entire world of sports. For A.J. Foyt, winner of the Golden Anniversary 500-mile race, one of the most thrilling, surprising, exciting finishes ever. Set to go once again with our coast-to-coast -coast radio coverage of the world-famous 500-mile race. This is the true endurance test of man and machine. He was a perfectionist himself. Uh, he was a class act. He, he dressed the part, he acted the part. He was a real professional. And I think he'll always be remembered as the voice of the 500. The 1954, listening to the 500 was a tradition worldwide. Radios from Tokyo to Tinseltown heard Sid Collins deliver all the race day excitement. He painted such an image for me. I mean, it was powerful. The golden pace car will make an abrupt cut into the pits at a 45-degree angle at 90 miles an hour. Here they come down the main straightaway for the world's fastest flying start. There's the green flag and the 500-mile race. Sid was the first voice of the 500 network. His poetic style and smooth voice informed fans for over 25 years. He was the architect of today's 500 broadcast. And Sid had a particular flair. He was he he could turn a phrase, as they say, unlike uh, most anybody else. He was always extremely well prepared. Sid was never at a loss for word. A race fever has reached the boiling point now, fans. The cars will pass us like a jet rocket, and here they come. There's the green flag, and the race is off. He was almost the star. You knew Sid and his voice and uh, so forth, maybe better than a lot of the drivers. I think that Sid and his crew created a magic on that one day of the year that drew the entire country. Victory Lane, two words with no parallel to men who devote their lives to speed and competition and raw courage. Sid was a very unique individual, always immaculately dressed, um, always uh, aware of his presence, and very much into the race. This was not just a job for Sid. This was indeed a lifetime achievement event for him. Sid was a master at making four and a half, five and a half hours seem Intriguing. The engine's now gathering strength and volume, settling to a pulsating roar as they go into the back stretch. The waiting is over. The magical moment of the start of the race rapidly approaching. Each man is alone now, all reduced to the singular conflict. 32 others are pitting their resources against his. I enjoyed listening to Sid because he made the exciting moments exciting. Over here's a skid right in front of us, number 83, spinning around three times, four times, right on the main stretch. What? Don yeah. Davis watching out there. Well, right around the outside of Davis with the Cooper Climax by inches, and Don Davis is situated right now in his car, getting up and out right in the middle of the main stretch, getting up dejectedly, walking away, and there are two cars going around, and number 73 well, right in front of the main stretch, two cars flip. Get the glasses on them and see who they are. A third car bumps, and the entire main stretch oh. is upside down. Sid delivered the race in a style all his own. But it was in 1955 that he would coin a phrase that put him and the Speedway on the map forever. In radio, you needed, in those days, to tell the local station it's now time for you to roll your commercials. Now all that's done electronically. Didn't didn't have that then. 
So they needed a phrase and they needed a catchphrase. Now stay tuned for the greatest spectacle in racing. It would give me goosebumps. Whenever I hear that, then I, uh, you know, that's, that's Sid Collins. The day that he took over the 500 and coined the phrase, the greatest spectacle in racing, it changed his life uh, to, to, to the day that he passed away. 1955 also presented Sid with his first crisis situation, a true test for any broadcaster. The caution light is out indicating trouble. Let's go to the back stretch and Jack Shapiro. Bill Vukovic evidently going to the outside to miss the trouble, went over the wall, and that car is still burning over there. Why don't you drop the mic for a second, go check, and come call us back when you see those numbers. We won't call you until you get back, I'll check the okay? car that is burning. I certainly Fine. will, Sid. In the midst of all the chaos, Sid took control of the situation live and unscripted. Sid stayed calm and kept listeners informed, even when the worst news of all filtered to the booth. Here we have never had to make such an announcement, and we're most regretful. Bill Vukovic, three-time winner of the 500-mile race, almost, trying for his third consecutive today, trapped in his car in the backstretch, was injured fatally. When the network entered its second decade, over 700 stations broadcast the 500. Sid and his staff wanted the race to reach every corner of the globe, and they were getting close. Sid was so proud of the network, and he often used to boast, this is the largest radio network in the world, larger than NBC, ABC, Mutual, any of the old networks. Just about everywhere where English was spoken, you could, uh, you could get it. At any Sid and his crew developed the race broadcast to include more than just the leader and the lap count. There would be great periods of time when it was just nothing much going on, you know. So what he did was uh, he had all kinds of ideas for um, uh, guests, uh, dignitaries that he thought would make the show more interesting to the to the uh, to the average listener. So he he'd get the Hollywood types on there. And now Indy was more than a sporting event; it was a social event. Song Christmas, Dinah Shore. Are you getting uh, ready for your trip to Victory Lane in a couple of hours, Dinah? Oh, I tell you, the moment when I get to present that Guarana Trophy is going to be the thrill of my life. Unbelievably uh, exhilarating occasion when that pacing car came down the stretch. I like that. Yeah, I thought that was colorful. That added something to it. And the mention of the broadcast that you know, I didn't know the broadcast had at the time. I mean, it, big name people do come here for this race. He was also able to keep you entertained in the laps when, if nothing was happening, it could get boring. Um, and it never did. Well, A.J. Foyt has a new car with an upright engine this year on the left, and uh, he, of course, is a rather quiet fellow. In fact, he's very, very uh, modest indeed, and it's hard to get him to say anything. Five laps to go, and Eddie Sachs, as they say in horse racing circles, at this moment, winning, going away. However, anything could happen. And now coming oh, in for a pit Sachs. stop is Eddie Sachs. A surprise, oh, a pit wait. stop for Eddie Sachs coming in. And they're still working and going by as A.J. Foyt takes the lead from Eddie Sachs to the south turn with three laps to go. He was a history reporter. He wanted to correctly report history. He didn't want to give bad information. And the golden anniversary 500-mile race is on. The number one turn and Mike Ahern. And here they come to the number one turn, accelerating out of the pack and taking the lead. Well, it's either right. We have an accident on the main stretch, Mike. Hold it. We have a terrible accident on the main stretch. Our policy has always been... You call what you see, and you don't make any judgments about anyone's condition or anything. 
It was that kind of perfection and preparation that got Sid through the start of the 1964 race. There has been a spectacular crash, almost at the head of the main stretch. There's so much fire and so much smoke, it's un I am unable to see any car at all. A seven-car crash claimed the lives of drivers Eddie Sachs and Dave McDonald. We're all speeding toward death at the rate of 60 minutes every hour. The only difference is that we don't know uh, how to speed faster, and Eddie Sachs did. And so since death has a thousand or more doors, Eddie Sachs exits this earth in a race car. Knowing Eddie, I assume that's the way he would have wanted it. Sid's emotional eulogy is considered one of the most moving moments in 500 history. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.